Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. One for two officially. The 1-1. One, one. Swung on. Hit deep. Right field. He's won it. Walk him off, Kyle Swarber. <laughs> His fourth career walk-off home run. Kyle Schwarber wins it 5-4 in the bottom of the ninth inning. His 17th home run of the season. And the Phillies have won six in a row. Good morning, everyone. It is officially June. It is the end of the school year. It is the beginning of vacation season, and it is... Always the commencement of Schwarber Fest. Good morning. This is Mike Sealski with you along with Glenn Macknow on 94 WIP. Glenn, how are you this morning? Couldn't be better, Mike. Watch that uh, game and watch the Phillies have the 4-1 to lead. Watch Matt Strom blow that lead with consecutive home runs to Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. Thought I was going to go to bed cranky. <laughs> you go to bed cranky anyway. Nah, I just wake up cranky. Uh, but, but then Kyle Schwarber sends everybody home delirious, and here we are. Sellout crowd goes – sellout crowd, man. And uh-huh. those are nice to see. It goes wild. It, it is nice to see. And what's nice to see is the Phillies now at 31 and 32, having gone a week without a loss, as you said, winning six games in a row. The frustrating thing, though, Glenn, if you're a Phillies fan, has to be that they didn't pick up any games on the first-place Atlanta Braves. They were eight games out at the beginning of the week, and they're still eight games out because the Braves have been that good. It's funny. I'm looking at the standings differently than you, uh, and they are. And they're, 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 they're Eight games is going to be a tough one to make up. Maybe last year made me a little bit too comfortable with the idea of getting in as a wild card because I know how precarious that can be, and you know you can be you can be a wild card and your season can end at like you know by the time you have dinner. But that they were able to last year go from the wild card to the World Series has me more looking at the Pittsburghs and those the San Diegos, those other teams. Well, maybe not San Diego, but. Those other teams that like, okay, if the Phillies have the fourth best, the fifth best record, they'll be okay. So may not be smart of me, but that's kind of how I'm looking at it now. No, and I think that's probably the right way to look at it, too. Uh, I mean, they, they passed the Mets the, as good a week oh. as the oh. Phillies had. If the Mets week was every bit that bad. That's a shame. Yeah, I, I know you're broken up about that. The Mets oh, lost six man. games in a row. Pete Alonso on the injured list, and the Phillies are now uh, a game and a half Ahead of the Mets, they are two and a half out of the wild card spot. 
And to me, Glenn, the thing that was most reassuring, if you're a Phillies fan, about this week is not just that they won six games in a row. It's the way that they went about winning those games. We mentioned Kyle Schwarber at the top. Here's a guy who in the last week, just the last week, four home runs and a triple, an OPS of 1417, which is... Can we, can we focus just for a moment on that triple? Oh, my gosh. Did you see the tweet of the triple set to the music of <laughs> no. Pirates of the Caribbean? No, no. Oh, my really? gosh. Yes. No. Yes. No, Dan, can you come back? Come back, uh, well, at one of these segments. I don't remember the music from Pirates of the Caribbean, so I want to hear what that sounds like. Uh, it, okay. it was remarkable. I mean, look, Kyle Schorber hitting a triple, that's like seeing Haley's Comet. Let's be right. honest. I think here. it's, uh, he's been illegal. He's been in baseball a long time. I think it's the 12th of his entire career. Yeah, well, he, he'll probably hit 12 home runs this month because yeah, that's what he right. does in June. And, uh, you know, he had been a dead spot in the lineup for basically the entire season, and now he's back to being Kyle Schwarber at this time of year. So that's huge. You have Aaron Nola throwing six no-hit innings in a victory. You have Zach Wheeler throwing seven no-hit innings in a victory. And you have Ranger Suarez pitching a terrific game last night against the Dodgers. Six innings, one run, eight strikeouts. Can this, Glenn, be kind of the kickstart to what we thought the Phillies were going to be? Well, you and I every week, you know, give our level of confidence of them making the postseason. You've been higher than I have. You've been on the plus side of 50 percent, and I Mm -hmm. have not. I don't think I'm quite ready to be over 50 percent yet, but I am certainly really encouraged by everything that you just said. Um, The starting pitching is what I thought was really going to carry the team this year. I thought that rotation with Wheeler and Nola at the top, and then I'm a big Ranger Suarez fan, and so he got hurt. So it took him a while to get back. He's gotten better every single start since he's got back. So that's very encouraging. Um, I thought the 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 signing, the free agent signing, was 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 a good one. I thought this team. Well, I mean, I guess we counted on Painter too to be the fifth starter. But I thought this team was going to have a really solid rotation, and it hasn't worked out that way. Taiwan Walker has been a big disappointment. Again, he's another guy pitched really well his last start, also. Mm-hmm. If you can get the rotation to uh, be 90% as good as maybe I expected it to be at the start of the year, um, get the offense rolling, get that momentum, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that to me was kind of the upshot of the week was the the benefit, the, the thing you most take away is the guys who they need to perform, who they expected to perform, started to perform in the way everyone expects. You know, Trey Turner had a big game at the beginning of the week, hitting a couple home runs in one game. And the fact that we've all been so down on the team's performance because the guys who always have performed had not performed, to me, was always a reason to be optimistic. It was a reason to say, okay, these guys have baseball cards for a reason. The numbers on the back are what they are for a reason. They will come around. Uh, and it looks like they're starting to come around. One thing I think, too, Glenn, that helped is the nature of a couple of those games. I think the fact, maybe this is me, but I think the fact that Aaron Nola took a no-hitter into the seventh inning and the fact that Zach Wheeler took a no-hitter into the eighth inning added a little more juice to the fact that they won six games in a row. It wasn't just that the Phillies are playing well. It is, oh, the pitchers are back, and we might possibly see history if Rob Thompson would allow history to be seen. Yeah, like I digress for a second, because he wouldn't. 
Right. Uh, and it, it became a moot point because they both gave up hits before he had to take him out. And Rob Thompson's certainly not alone in this regard. But I am bummed out as a lifelong baseball fan that the chances for us to see real no-hitters by one pitcher are virtually nil. And, you know, a no-hitter by two pitchers, three pitchers is, is I don't want to say it's not a big deal, but it's not a historical event to me. And I just, um, I don't know. That, that's it. That's my little rant. No. I find it very disappointing that, oh, he's at 104 pitches. We got to take him out in the seventh inning when he can make history. Come on. His arm's not going to fall off. Well, it's, it's interesting you brought this up because on Thursday night, when you and I were at Puddler's Kitchen and Tap uh, with Conchock and Brewing Company for that terrific event you had with Larry Anderson and Bernie Perrant and, uh, you know, terrific fundraiser, book signings. Uh, the the place was packed watching the Phillies game. And you could sense as Wheeler was going inning by inning how excited people were by the possibility of a no-hitter. It was great that the Phillies were winning, but the prospect of him making history juiced people even more. And I, I agree with you completely. In fact, I think it's something that baseball's got to find a way to get back to. I think the rules changes have helped a lot, and we're going to get into them a little bit and some of the downsides of them later in the show. But the fact that a pitcher often isn't given the opportunity to make history is something that makes the sport less interesting. Yeah, You know, people okay. forget there was yep. a no-hitter in the World Series last year. The Phillies got no hit in the World Series. People yeah, remember more than one of the pitchers. Exactly. Right? Exactly. That's, Nobody can name the pitchers, and that's a shit. Everybody's going to remember Don Larson forever, and that's before I was born, for God's sakes. But nobody's – well, and Roy Halladay. Roy Halladay yep. did it in the, in the uh, playoffs. But whoever did it – let's see, who is it? Is it their closer? Was it Garcia? Yeah, right? You're not yeah. going to remember that. No, yep. all you're going to remember is that the Phillies lost the series and, and yeah, it turned that was on turning that one point. game. It turned hey, on that one game. Uh, one thing I'll say that was really nice to see, um, and I've heard people say this this week, is like, man, eh, they're just beating bad teams. It's like, <laughs> you know, okay. So beating the Dodgers last night to me was good because it is true they have not beaten good teams this year. Against teams with a losing record, the Phillies are 20-12. and 12. Mm-hmm. That's a nice 625 winning percentage. That'll win you a division. That'll, that'll be the best record in the league. Against teams 500 or better, after last night, there's there's still eleven and twenty. Yeah, not good. So here's what I think: you got two games against the Dodgers today, tomorrow. Split those games. That's fine. You win the series, and then you go to Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, you go to Arizona, and then you go to Oakland. So you play three at Oakland. You got to beat up Oakland, right? That's the Absolutely. worst team in baseball history. Yes. Right. So you want to take all three. Maybe you take two out of three, but geez, you you really got to do that. I think Arizona is going to be. A really important series. The Diamondbacks are good. I think that's a four-game series. It it's is. a long series. Okay. Yep. So, you split the next two with the Dodgers. You go to Arizona. You got to get at least a split. You got to win at least two of those. You beat up on Oakland. You come back home. You're above 500 when you come back to play the Braves on June 20th. And then, when that happens, Mike Sielski. Mm-hmm. And you and I are doing this show, which I guess would be two weeks from today, which would be after June 20th. Mm-hmm. I will be on the plus side of 50% for them to make 
the postseason. Well, that would be a remarkable. And that's what I need. That would be a remarkable jump because I remember the conversation you and I had last Saturday, and I think you were at about twenty five percent, twenty six twenty six percent. Okay, and they haven't lost since you put them at twenty six percent. So correct. I, if I were a Phillies fan, I'd be listening to this saying, "Glenn Mack, now keep your expectations low." Because once you get on the bandwagon, things might go south. No, no, no. It's 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 it it fluctuates. It changes as things change. So you were fifty one percent last week, right? What are you at today? I'm at fifty six, fifty seven, almost sixty percent. I'd say sixty uh, percent. Yeah, I think they're. I, I I am. I don't believe in the Pittsburgh Pirates. I don't really believe in the Florida Marlins. It's kind of a show me situation with those two teams who are ahead of the Phillies in the standings right now. I think the Mets have some issues that they're going to have to solve. I, I, the idea that they are should be taken for granted as a playoff team or a contender, I think, is in a little bit of question right now. Uh, I, again, I feel pretty good about the Phillies' chances. Maybe I'm being overly optimistic. I am at a nice round number of forty-one percent. Okay, nothing okay. round up there. <laughs> I'm at forty-one percent. So I was at twenty-six, so I'm fifteen percent better than I was last week, but. You know, that is a tough stretch coming up. You got the Dodgers, you got Arizona. That's a tough stretch. If you can, if they can do well on that and again, then beat up on Oakland, then come back and play the Braves. Braves, best team in the league, I yeah. guess. Yep. So I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to jump the gun. I'm going to stay at 41% right now. We'll do this barometer every week. Yeah, who knows? Aaron Nola may go out there today against the Dodgers and have an Aaron Nola inning where he allows five runs in the third, uh, all with two outs, all with two strikes, and you know, you're back down to twenty six percent tomorrow. So we will see how all this goes. Uh coming up on the show today, we have got a ton of stuff. For for a time of year when there often isn't much going on, we've got a lot to discuss uh this week. So coming up, we're going to be dealing with, and and Glenn and I have kicked these topics around between the two of us uh, over the course of the week. You had the Flyers making a major trade with Ivan Provorov, uh, the possibility of them dealing Carter Hart. You've got scuttlebutt around the Sixers, what's going to happen with James Harden. And you also had, and it's kind of hard to think of things in these terms because the Eagles are such a uh, topic of conversation, a top of mind for everyone all the time, but they did have... The end of minicamp this week had some availability. We heard from Nick Sirianni and Jalen Hurts. So at 11 o'clock, we're going to have E.J. Smith, uh, the excellent Eagles beat reporter from the Philadelphia Inquirer, my colleague, join us. Uh, and at 12 o'clock, we're going to have the voice of the Phillies, Tom McCarthy, uh, talk about the six-game winning streak, what he's seeing. We've got an excellent what we're watching in that I think, Glenn, I have found uh, the next female Hollywood superstar. Uh, in something that I've been watching. I can't recommend what I've been watching, the show itself, but I think I found uh, the next superstar in Hollywood. Uh, We're, of course, going to do our Cooper Docs segment. We will take your calls at 215-592-9494, and we'll keep kicking around the Phillies because it's been an excellent week, and it's been the kind of week, I think, Glenn, that can propel a team to something bigger and better during the course of a season. I think we're, we're going to start to see, even if they don't win you know, six games in a row every single week, which, of course, they're not going to do, I think the potential is there to start to see the team that we all thought we would probably see. 
I think I, I don't disagree with you, and I think those great starts, uh, I mean, really consecutively, you know, Nola, you got great starts out of Nola, out of Wheeler, out of Walker, out of Ranger Suarez yesterday. Suarez has ERA. He's gone down every appearance, every time he's thrown. I'm confident on that. You've had a great, continued great performance by Nick Castellanos. Um, and if you beat the Dodgers and you beat Arizona, I'm there. Remember, Charlie Manuel used to say to beat the best – to be the best, you got to beat the best. Mm-hmm. Then maybe was that Ric Flair? Maybe it but, might have been. Yeah, he also said "woo" a lot. But yeah, that's he did. Rick Flair. Now Rick Flair, Flair said, to, "To to be the man, you got to beat the man." <laughs> anyway, that's how I feel about the Phillies. So, uh, but yes, all very encouraging, and uh, we ought to have a great show today. We should, and maybe you know, who knows? We might be seeing the beginning of Cody Clements becoming a most valuable player candidate. Talk about an under the radar good week. Guy gets a game winning hit. Thursday night against the Tigers, makes an incredible defensive play last night. You know, maybe he's the man. <laughs> what do you think? So he's hitting, I mean, he's hitting 269. He's, yeah. got, a seven, he's got a 757 OPS. That's okay. That's okay. I think, I think Cody Clements in all seriousness. He's got four home runs. No, I, so, okay, go ahead. No, I'll just tell you what I think in all seriousness. Yeah, I, I think you, you referenced Charlie Manuel, and I think Cody Clements is, is one of the guys that Charlie Manuel described as. You know, a guy who can help you for two weeks, maybe three weeks, get him 250 to 300 bats over the course of a season. He can You optimize him that way, but if you got to put him in the lineup every day, he's going to start to show his flaws. Yeah, I agree. Um, he's 27. He's not 23, so I don't know if he's going to get a lot better. He, I, think, I think he is a decent bench player. Uh, does he play other positions than first? Well, he pitches. That yeah, exactly. <laughs> he might be their fourth or fifth best reliever. No, he's played, <laughs> he played some second and third for the Tigers last yeah. year. He, play, he played two innings of shortstop this year? Yeah. That? Just a plug-and-play guy, and you, and you need guys like that. You absolutely yeah. do. And that's Well, he, the thing is, maybe he's the guy who keeps Derek Hall from the opportunity to come back to the team. The, they need a right-hand hitter on the bench. Yeah, they do. Um, they need somebody who can hit better than Josh Harrison and Dalton Guthrie, the yeah. Stott, Schwarber, Marsh, Harper, Clemens. I'm doing it off the top of my head, so if I forget somebody, mm-hmm. Stubbs is a lefty, yeah. uh, Cave, Derek Hall. So they need a right-handed hitter on the bench. Nothing against Cody Clemens, though, because he did. He had a, he had a great week. Uh, John from Bryn Mawr, Glenn, uh, believes that the Phillies have turned a corner with this six-game winning streak. John, what makes you say this? Hey, how you doing, Glenn and Mike? Uh, hey, guys. What makes you say this? Uh, the same thing happened last year when they turned it around when I got rid of Girardi, and they were having so much fun. I remember watching those games, and the camera would show the dugout and everybody having fun, and they got that look in them. They got that glow, and they're shining. And I truly believe that this is it. I also believe, because we don't have a, uh, a bullpen game, that they're going to sweep the Dodgers. And um, when we come back from the road trip, uh, who, do we, who do we play first when we get back? The Braves? Yeah, yes. the Braves. You got three against the Braves and three against the Mets. Yeah, we're going to be above 500, and I'm calling it now that they're going to win a division at the end of the year. Now, last year when I started noticing that they had this fun, because, you know, it, it, it's so much easier to play. You're not thinking as much when right. you're having fun. And I called Howard – on a Saturday in like the second week of August, and I was uh, I was driving to well, Maine. Well, there's your first I, mistake, John. Yeah, well, you know, I was bored. I was driving <laughs> up to Maine. I was meeting Just my kidding, family Al. up there. 
And I said to Howard, I'm like, they're going to the World Series. And he laughed at me, and and sure enough, they went. Well, but, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll say this, John. I'll say this, uh, and, and thanks for the call. I think if they, Glenn, if they come back and overtake the Braves and win the division, as John says, that would almost be a greater achievement than going to the World Series last year because the Braves are really good and they're eight games up. Yeah, and the Braves aren't going anywhere. By the way, uh, our pal Jack Fritz just texted me and said, look at the Phillies' schedule for August. And so I am. Uh, first of all, they got 19 home games in August. Ooh, that bodes and, well. Yeah, and they play teams. They play the Nationals. They play the Royals. They play the Twins. They play the, the Cardinals, who are bad this year. They play the Angels. That's the time to get fat. Yeah, so I guess you know, and Jack's point is is smart. If they hang in until August and then and then can really go on a run, then then sure. Yeah, I'm possibly. still sticking. I'm sticking with 41 percent for the moment. Okay, I'm I'm upwards of you know, just talking with John from from Bridmore has got me well over 95 percent. Uh, I think. <laughs> um, coming up, as I said, we're going to talk some Sixers. We're going to talk the big Flyers trade. We have uh, EJ Smith. From the Inquirer coming on to talk Eagles at 11 o'clock. We have the great Tom McCarthy at noon. We have what we're watching, Cooper Doc, and of course your calls at 215-592-9494. You are listening to Glenn Macnow and Mike Sealski on 94 WIP. Dan Wilson doing yeoman work, coming back with the Pirates of the Caribbean theme in honor of Kyle Schwarber's triple and Johnny Depp and whoever else is in that. Well, he can play the whole 90-second theme before he got to third. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely true. You you should see it if you haven't already. It's floating out on social media, uh, the the struggle of Kyle Schwarber uh, (laughs) to to get to third base. It, It was something to see, but... Uh, As I said in the first segment, uh, the Phillies have to feel good about the fact that he is starting to hit the ball out of the ballpark again with regularity Uh, because it just, Glenn, it just, it lifts every other, it's it's the tide that lifts all boats in the lineup, I think. Well, sure. I mean, when he, and I know he's never going to hit 280, right? But if he can hit 220 with all those home runs and all those walks and the other production, it was a key part of what they had last year. It's why they got him. You just can't have a guy hitting 160 um, either leading off, which is what they want to do, or batting in the middle of the order. So, yeah, he's he he and Nola, to me, were the two key guys who had to start producing more than any other. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. Uh, Steve from Willow Grove heard our conversation about pitchers not going nine innings and not being allowed to throw no hitters, and he wants to weigh in. What are your thoughts here, Steve? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going back. I'm a lot older than you guys, and I'm going back to the 1950s and early 60s when pitchers regularly went nine innings, and there weren't five men in a rotation, there were four. You know, one of the statistics that stands out in my mind is in 1954, Bob Lemon won 23 games. He pitched 21 complete games. Mm-hmm. Now, there are guys that don't pitch 21 complete games in their entire career. No, I don't think there's going to um, be 21 complete games in baseball today. So let me... Because we don't need to go back to 1954. We really don't. I mean, we can go back to Roy Halladay, who everybody yeah. here remembers, and Roy would have double-digit complete games every year. And Kurt Schilling is a guy who would throw 125 pitches a game. So here's what's changed. And actually, when we have our Cooper Doc on later, we're going to talk about this. 
pitchers are now taught to throw as hard as they can and throw clearly not as many pitches because you're just going to throw as hard as you can. When, I mean, you go back to Bob Lemon, but again, I'll go back to Halliday or Schilling or Carlton or any of these guys that, that people remember, they would pace themselves so that they could go distance. One of the things that analytics has done is show that if you know third time around the order because mm-hmm. you're throwing as fast as you can, you're not as effective, and that's and that's why it's changed. And while I, I'll agree with you on um, is that it's just Steve, it's not it's not as it's not as good for the game. It's not as fun. Yeah, it's not. And and I used to love to go out. You'd go out to see a pitcher. You know, it, it was, yeah. it, a guy would come to town. You'd go out to see that pitcher, and. Now, you you know, you could go out and see a pitcher. He p- pitches five or six innings. He's gone. You know, yeah. you wait. You really wait for that big game, the shutout, and the, not even the no-hitter, the shutout. The role you know, of the, the starting pitcher has Thank been you, very Steve. much diminished uh, in recent years, and that's, and that's too bad. They're still getting money, by the way, in contracts, but they're not – you know, the the starting pitcher used to be such a key guy, and now it's like, well, Steve said it. Give me five innings, and then we'll go to three six-foot-five flamethrowers to get us through this seventh, eighth, ninth inning. Yeah, well, you put your finger on it, Glenn, and it's kind of ca- counterintuitive. These starters are still getting money, but they're not pitching as much as they used to because they're making so much money. Teams are afraid to keep yeah. a guy in the game and, you know, presumably put him at risk of getting hurt. And I agree with you completely. I think it detracts from the entertainment value of the game. Look, I think the rules changes that have come into play this season have been great. I know uh, our friend Matt Gelb at The Athletic had a terrific story this week about the theory amongst Phillies pitchers and other pitchers throughout baseball that the pitch clock at Citizens Bank Park is actually faster yeah. uh, than, than it is in other uh, stadiums and ballparks around Major League Baseball. But you can't deny that the pitch clock has made the game more watchable. What would make the game even more watchable, to Steve's point, is going to see a pitcher and seeing that pitcher throw seven, eight, nine innings because it builds drama. You know, is he going to throw a shutout? Is he going to throw a no-hitter? That's part of what makes baseball great, and you don't see it as much anymore. Uh, 100% agree with you. So to shift gears a little bit here, Glenn, last night, I don't know if you caught any of this. I'm sure people uh, around the Delaware Valley were – if they were paying attention to sports, were probably locked in on the Phillies-Dodgers game. But I watched a good bit of Game 4 of the NBA Finals between the Miami Heat and the Denver Nuggets. And, and Denver won again. Uh, they won last night, I think, what was it, 106 to – what am I looking at? Why do I not have this? 98? 94, something 94. along those lines. Um, anyway, they have a three games to one lead in the series. And Nikola Jokic uh, of the Nuggets is probably going to be the Finals MVP. It's either going to be him or Jamal Murray and – you know, this enchanted run by the Miami Heat with Jimmy Butler being an eighth seed is going to end. But the reason I bring that up, and I wanted to get your thoughts about this, because you've been someone who obviously has had his finger on the pulse of what fans around here think for a long time. One of the things that watching the finals has driven home to me, and it's driven, I think, this point home to a lot of people, is how much better Nikola Jokic is than Joel Embiid. We spent a lot of time around here over the last six months debating the NBA MVP and how what an injustice it would be if Joel Embiid didn't get it. And then, of course, Joel Embiid got it, and he was crying about it and joy, and everything was wonderful, and people felt good that Joel Embiid won the MVP. And the Sixers went out in the second round again, and Embiid didn't play particularly well in the postseason, at least not relative 
to the player he had been in the regular season. And you see Nikola Jokic really carrying the nuggets and being the kind of guy who guys want to play with. Uh, A player who finds open teammates and hits them with terrific passes and scores when he needs to score. And he had a 30-20-10 triple-double in Game 3. And to me, maybe I'm wrong about this, but this speaks to kind of the way in Philadelphia we tend to focus so much on the athletes and the teams here that we sometimes don't have the greatest view of the broader picture. And I wonder if people are looking at Jokic and saying, you know what, we got it wrong about Embiid. We got it a little wrong. As great as Joel is, man, we, we missed the boat on how good Jokic was. So I think, I, okay, I'll agree with, with you for a large part. I think there's a few things here. I think Philadelphia fans don't watch the Denver Nuggets on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. First of all, most people watch their hometown team. Second of all, the Nuggets, as good as they are and they're going to win the title, are not a marquee team that everybody's keeping attention on. He's a marquee player, but you know, if you're not watching the Sixers, you're watching the Celtics, or you're watching the you know the Knicks, or you're watching whatever one of the one of the teams that are one of the marquee teams. Um, but here's the thing that where I think I, I guess I'm agreeing with this part of what you're saying, and I thought this all along. I, I have no argument that Embiid shouldn't have, should have been the um, MVP. I'm mm-hmm. fine with Embiid winning the MVP. What's happening now does not mean Embiid was not the MVP. It's a regular season right. award, and he carried this team for the whole season. Um, but I do think so many people in this town, and I was—I never understood this as it was going on, just saw the, him winning the MVP as total validation of everything and prioritized that, including, by the way, maybe Embiid himself, just from the way he talked about it, mm-hmm. that it became more important at least for the moment in the playoffs, that they took their eye off the prize, and the prize was Embiid's got to get MVP. Now, maybe this goes to the debate that carried WIP at some point this week, which was, did the process work? And because Embiid is great, therefore the process worked, and Embiid won the MVP, so the process worked. Except they got knocked out in the second round again, which speaks to it didn't work. Um, But I think that for whatever it, it became more important for him to win the MVP than anything going on in sports, and I didn't get that. Yeah, I, I agree with you to a certain extent. I think some of it is just the natural parochialism of Philadelphia. They want We want our guy to win, quote-unquote. Yeah. I think some of it is Embiid's personality, that people knew that winning the MVP meant a lot to him. He a lot been, to him. Yeah, a lot. And, and it had been and, close in previous years, and it was his time. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah I didn't mean to No, a lot, and, and I thought that... It, from from everything it appeared, he prioritized it more than he should have. Yeah, and I'm telling you, if, if you're gonna you may only have one more chance to see him. If you haven't, if you're a basketball fan, and if you're a basketball fan, presumably you've been watching Nikola Jokic anyway. But if you are and you haven't, you should watch Game Five of the NBA Finals because I don't know the comp to this guy, Glenn. I don't know how much you've watched of him, but he is a marvel to watch play. You can see how much. The other four players on the floor, the other four Denver Nuggets, like playing with him. Yeah, uh, it's a testament to He's the, the I- team guy. He yeah, is. and it's a testament to the idea that you have to get guys the ball, even if they're not scores, because it keeps them engaged. You know that Larry Brown, one of the um, brilliant things he did as the coach of the uh, Detroit Pistons, is that he would get Ben Wallace shots, 
And he got asked one time, why do you set up plays for Ben Wallace? He can't shoot. He can't do anything offensively. And Larry said, because if I get him a shot here and there, he plays better defense for me. Yeah, it's great. And Jokic does that all over the place. They're a great team yeah, as a team. The they are. They really are. Robert wants to uh, weigh in on the NBA Finals. Robert from Germantown. How are you, Robert? Good morning. Great to meet you guys in the flesh. What a wonderful event uh, you threw there, Glenn. Thank you for doing that. Hey, thank you for coming out. It really was. Um, I was delighted. We got more than 250 people. We raised so far $24,000 and counting with more to come. So, And thanks for your contribution. That's okay. I'll make additional contributions directly. I didn't know this organization existed. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, the, the Philadelphia Youth Sports Collaborative. It's a it's a great great organization. Your yes. your thoughts on the finals, there, Robert? Yeah, retro basketball guys. I've been preaching this for years on the radio station. You know, here we see what basketball is meant to be. You know, it's meant to be a team game. It's meant to be high basketball IQ. You know. Embiid is a far, far superior athlete. I think we'd all agree to Jokic. However, he's far superior in what I call, what we used to call the Cell Academy, where I was working back in the day. Basketball IQ. This guy's got it off the charts. You know, he just makes such smart, intelligent, fundamental decisions. Embiid doesn't have a clue. He's basically a soccer player still. He wasn't coached well. So if we could get some guys who want to play basketball, fundamentals, they don't need to be. $200 $200 million a year guys. I don't care about that. I want a guy like Aaron Gordon. I want people they have on Miami. I want people who can play as a team, who understand their roles. I want to see ball movement, those kind of things. That's, I'm old school, but guess what? My two old school teams are in the final. The old school works. <laughs> Thank you, Robert. Yeah, you know, Glenn, Robert's point um, is interesting in two ways. Number one, it, it gave me an, an idea for a comp for the, this Denver team, which might be, those old-time New York Knicks teams uh, of the 70s, uh, yeah. you know, which you're not going to see that style of play very much anymore, and I'm sure that's part of the reason why Robert appreciates it. Appreciates no. Sonny it Hill's so on tomorrow. Yeah, way. exactly. We're, we're taking over the living room for Sonny. Um, but the other thing is, too, that, I mean, Jokic, we can talk team ball all we want. That guy can score on anybody in the league. And, oh, yeah. And in the NBA, you, that's what you need. You need – you know, at least one guy who you can just throw the ball to and he will score when he needs to score. And I think that's part of the complaint with Joel Embiid is that uh, he's got to work on his post game more to be able to just get some easy buckets. It's It seems hard for him in the playoffs to, to do that. So No disagreement. Yeah. Uh, Ron from Delco has some thoughts on the Joker and some would call the thief in Joel Embiid. Just saying. Oh, Ooh, just yeah. saying. Uh, wow, go ahead, Ron. Shot. That was a shot. It was just that was a lot further than I'm going. I know, and I didn't totally Hello? mean it, but it was funny. Yeah, uh, Ron, works. go ahead. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, yeah, Ron, go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I know a lot of people are saying the Joker is better than MB. I, I don't. I think they're comparable. I think here's the difference. First of all, the Joker has better players around him, and he has one specific player around him. That's Murray. You take Harden out. You put Murray in there. And Joel can compete for a championship. The other thing is we do this flavor of the month thing. I remember they were saying that about uh, Milwaukee. Um, Giannis. Uh, yeah. Oh, he he, has, he can't win the big one. He can't do this. Then all of a sudden he won the championship, and he's the greatest thing since ice bread. Same thing with the Joker a couple years ago. He couldn't get his team to, uh, to the finals. Uh, yeah, he does a lot of great well, regular season so stuff. But when it gets me, into let the me, playoffs. Let me interject here. I hear your point. Until Embiid gets there, it's fair to say it. 
Right. But what, what I'm just saying is it's sort of like we do this, and you're right, but we do this flavor of the month, and if next year and B gets there, then we'll, oh, wow. Yeah, I, did, you know I don't think it's you know flavor of the month. Yeah. And listen, I, I hear you. I don't think it's flavor of the month. I think it's you got to prove you can do it. And until you prove you can do it, people are going to doubt you, and it's fair. Yeah, it's it, look, you're right, Glenn. It's totally fair to be skeptical of the Sixers and Embiid, especially because his level of play has worsened in the postseason compared to who he is during the regular season. It would be different if he were as good or better than the guy he was during the regular season and the Sixers still couldn't get past the second round. But he's playing worse than he usually does, and that's part of the reason they're not advancing. Yeah. Anyway, we can keep kicking this around. We've got much, much more to get to. Uh, this morning and early this afternoon. Uh, and we, will, of course, will take your calls at 215-592-9494 with Glenn Macnow. I am Mike Sealski on WIP. And that means it is time for me to tell to ask you if you're tired of dealing with those old inefficient windows in your house. If so, it's time to go Gaida. How about that drafty, beat-up-looking entry door that you painted over more times you can count? Well, go Gaida. If you need added protection from the elements with a new storm door, go Gaida. What about that sliding patio door, the garage door you've been meaning to replace? Go Guida. Whatever your home improvement needs are, I suggest you go Guida with the great people at Guida Door and Window. Now, to help get your project started, Guida is offering 20% off all windows and doors and allowing you to start your project with no money down and up to three full years to pay them off interest-free. That's right. Receive 20% instant savings with the luxury of paying off your project interest-free for up to 36 months. Restrictions apply. Offers for a limited time. Hey, what are you waiting for? It's time you finally go Guida. Call today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. And the shot by Provorov, he scores! Ivan Provorov from the point. Had some traffic. Not sure if it was deflected, but it wound up in the net. Power play goal. This game is tied at two. So Glenn Mack now... We spent a good bit of the first segment talking about how this was a week that could change the Phillies' season because they won six games in a row. I would argue and suggest that this was a week that started an even more important and broader transition for another franchise in town. The, the Flyers, if you are still paying attention to them in the summer after they had the season that they've had, traded defenseman Ivan Provorov uh, this week. And if you know anything about the Flyers, you know that Provorov – was supposed to be kind of a lifetime defenseman for them. He was supposed to be a Norris Trophy candidate, uh, a guy who was going to be part of their lineup for a long, long time. And here they are this week, uh, Danny Briere, the new general manager, trading Provorov in a big three-team deal. The Flyers get back a first-round pick, two second-round picks, a highly regarded prospect, a guy with a goaltender with a bad contract, a defenseman uh, who may or may not help them. Glenn sounded better when you started. I sense. know it did. <laughs> well, those are the kind stick of with the stick with the first round picks. And yeah, then, and, yeah. And some, and but some stuff. Those are the kind of maybe uh, a prospect. The defensive guy maybe the defensive guy may be good. Um, yeah. His name is uh, Helg Granz. But I'm curious. Like a villain in a diehard movie. Yeah, Bond villain exactly. No, no, Mister No Jonesy. I expect you to die. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but Glenn, your your take on. Provorov because I find him to be kind of a mystery, a guy who in the end was kind of disappointing. He was there was oh, a yeah. lot of promise there, and I really thought he had a chance to be a terrific defenseman for the Flyers for a long, long time, and it just never happened. 
No, he was going to be the franchise defenseman. He was going to be that guy that they hadn't had since, I guess, Desjardins. So he was here for he was here for seven seasons. My yep. God. Yep. Um, and his play really declined as the teams declined. Um, he's got a big salary, close to $7 million. He had issues with the organization during the COVID protocols, if you remember. Yep. He had issues with some teammates during the Pride Night fiasco that occurred down there. Uh, and he wanted out. And the coach doesn't love him and he has a chance to go somewhere else and play a lot better but that wasn't going to happen here and um they i think that they kind of had to move him it was pretty obvious and that danny briere was able to get the haul that he did i was really impressed i mean that first round pick this year it's a very strong and deep draft i think it's a 22nd pick and that may not sound elite, but it's supposed to be that there are going to be some good players there, including the draft is very strong on right-handed defensemen, mm-hmm. and so get one of those. Um, I think it was a, for a first trade by Danny Briere, I thought it was a really good trade. I thought they got good value, and they got rid of a guy quickly who they had to get rid of. Yeah, and I think even in a way more importantly, it affirmed or reaffirmed that – this new leadership team of the Flyers, Danny Briere as general manager, Keith Jones as president of hockey operations, and John Tortorella as head coach slash consigliere, I guess you'd call him, uh, are thinking the right way. If Provorov is not going to max out here, get value for him while you can uh, and, and commence with the rebuild. Get going. Understand that there, the time for patchwork and trying to just get in the playoffs is gone that you have to start moving pieces to get bigger swing pieces back. You know, you get a first-round pick and maybe you hit on it for a player that's better than Provorov, or uh, you package those picks to move up in the draft. That's the way a team in a salary cap league has to think, which leads me to this question, Glenn Mack. Now, the other big scuttlebutt around the Flyers this week. and it started, started on our show Started on our show two weeks ago when Danny Briere said that he was open to trading goaltender Carter Hart. Your thoughts on the possibility of the Flyers trading goaltender Carter Hart? Yeah, and by the way, I got a, the, it, the talks of that, uh, or at least rumors of that, really did pick up this week. I got a call from a radio station in Buffalo. They thought a trade was imminent with him going to the Sabres. So I have been thinking a lot about this since Danny Briere said to us, more than just, well, you know, you got to be open to trading anybody. Uh, I mean, he he said, I, I think Carter's going to be our goalie this year, but. And I thought that but was mm-hmm. huge. Yep. Big butt girls. Um, <laughs> Ted Lasso well, reference. There you well, go. Yes, there you go. Um, I don't want to trade Carter Hart. I don't want them to trade Carter Hart unless they get an amazing haul, right? I can't say nothing, not for nothing, but I think – my inclination would be to keep him. I think he's he's still really good. I think that – I mean, this is a guy who can weather 30 shots and still keep a really high save percentage. He's a good goalie under fire, and all this is to say, I think as they are working to rebuild, he he will survive that. He can be really good even when they're not good. Mike, he's 24 years old, yeah. right? Yeah. So if it takes them four or five years to get better – Okay, he'll be 28 years old, 29 years old. This franchise was on that goalie carousel forever, forever, four decades. They were always looking for the goalie. I think you have him. 
Um, and, yeah, they may be bad, and you may be able to get a lot for him right now. But to me, having him here, uh, here, ready, hockey cliche, uh-huh. between the pipes, <laughs> gives me a good sense of security, a good feeling, because those guys are so hard to find that, to me, unless you really bowl me over, I am not in- inclined to trade Carter Hart. Okay, so you put your finger on a couple of different things there. Number one, I think – you're right. The most compelling argument to keep him is that he's only 24, and in today's age of goaltenders, because they're so much more athletic and they play so much longer, it's very possible that the Flyers can rebuild and be good in time for Carter Hart to still be a terrific goaltender. We see that in the Stanley Cup Finals right now with the Florida Panthers and Sergei Bobrovsky. He's 33 years old. He's been in the league forever, was a flyer at one time, probably should have stayed a flyer. But be that as it may, he's 33 and still an excellent goaltender. You can have a goaltender at an advanced age in sports and still thrive. To me, it would depend on two things, trading him. Number one, as you said, the haul you get back for him, how much do you, can you possibly get for him? And can, it, can that haul help you more than having Carter Hart? And number two, it depends on, How much do they believe in and trust in the depth they have in that position already in the organization? That was one of the things that Danny mentioned to us on the show was we have Sam Erson and we have these other goalies in the system and we feel pretty good at that position. So uh, I think it's an interesting thing to watch because it's one of those moves, even more so than the Provorov one, that could reap huge benefits or could blow up in their face. Yeah, well... I hope he's here, um, I, and the best point, I think, it was the last one, which is they do have a lot of young goalie prospects who may or may not be good, but I know a lot of pro- – they once had a guy, Wallet, uh, not Francis Wallet, because that was the guy. Maxime Olay. Maxime Olet. Olay, yes. And, oh, he was going to be the next great goalie. N- I, not a good name for a goaltender, Olay, just saying. <laughs> and there were others along the way. They got a guy. He's good. He's – I mean – He's the only guy on the team. Well, he's not the only one, but he's the guy in the team I, I most, I think, has the best future. So I'm keeping him. Okay. Well, now that we've solved all the problems with the Flyers and figuring out how they're going to rebuild and all of that, Harvey and Nick, I know you want to talk about uh, Jokic and Embiid. Hang in there. We're going to have um, uh, EJ Smith coming up at 11 o'clock to talk about Eagles minicamp and Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni and all kinds of different stuff. And, of course, we're still taking your calls at 215 215- 592-9494. He is Glenn Mack now. I am Mike Sealski. You are listening to WIP. Second and 10. Hurts. We'll try the other side this time. Coming back to get it for the touchdown. Wes Watkins. Yeah. <laughs> Had to search hard for that one. There aren't, there aren't many Quez Watkins highlights out there, are there? Not a ton, but we got that. And it's going to be Jermaine in one second. Let me introduce our guest. First-time guest on our show. Delighted to have him. E.J. Smith covers the Eagles for the Philadelphia Inquirer. You can follow him on Twitter at EJSmith94. Tell me that's not the year you were born. <laughs> I'm sorry to report that that is the year that I was born. Uh, I'm an old, you know, I get, I get a lot though. I'm an old soul. So, you know, yeah, there you go. Anyway, thanks so much. There you go. Thanks for being our guest. Uh, EJ, it's a pleasure to have you. And let us start with what we just teed up there, which was uh, Quez Watkins, because it was interesting this week that Nick Sirianni went out of his way at the, whatever, minicamp organized team activity, uh, to praise Quez, I guess it came up in relation to a question about the Eagles signing an extremely 
great and available wide receiver. What do you think was Nick's motivation here? Yeah, I think that the the primary – I mean, they were bullish on him last offseason too. I want to start off by saying that. So I think the opinion of Quez in the building has always been higher than the outside opinion. And, I mean, my read on it, uh, you know, I'm sure that he's not dropping passes in practice and, you know, out of shape or anything like that. I'm sure he's having a fine spring, but I think that this is more about a confidence booster and kind of giving him, like, a little bit of affirmation, you know. I mean – Obviously, he's had a little bit of a turbulent offseason. He's, he's acknowledged the criticism on social media that he's gotten, you know, after a down year. You know, he, he admitted it himself that he didn't have the season he wanted. Obviously, had a costly drop in the Super Bowl. So, I think this is a little bit of a confidence booster for him. And, again, I think that the organization views him a little bit higher than the outside, uh, you know, the outside fan perspective of it. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I also want to add, like, you know, he's the – you know, on a, on a good day, he's the, the fourth option in the offense, and he kind of does fulfill a role that you want out of, you know, one of these, like, secondary options. You know, a guy who isn't going to get the ball too much. You know, he can stretch the field because of his speed. I think that the next thing for him is going to be capitalizing on the opportunities he does get. And, you know, if there is a fair criticism of him, it is that, you know, there have been some big plays that he's left on the table. Yeah. Yeah. And then some. I'm thinking of the Super Bowl back in February, EJ. Um I almost hesitate to ask you this, but when you're coming off a berth in the Super Bowl and a team is relatively healthy as the Eagles seem to be, there aren't too many really tough questions to be asked about them yet. So I'll throw this out there. There's no realistic possibility of them getting DeAndre Hopkins. Is there? I mean, it just doesn't seem to make sense on any level to me, but I'm curious what you think. Yeah, I'd be surprised. You know, uh, Nick Sirianni talked about it, and of course he has to do the general, well, we'll never rule it out. You can never say never. But, you know, he did talk about them being pleased with the room that they have. I just think that, the you know, remember this is the same team and this is the same coaching staff that, you know, kind of bent over backwards at times last year to make sure that their wide receivers were happy, even if they weren't getting the touches that they wanted. You know, after the season opener where Devontae Smith didn't really have a very – big role in the offense you know the next week he's the first guy on you know he's the first target you know first play of the game we got to get Devontae a touch and you know A.J. Brown had a moment there you know late in the season it was during the playoffs where he was unhappy with uh you know the number of targets that he got so they've got you know three guys and A.J. Brown Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard who all need the ball you know and who none of those guys are necessarily the the textbook like diva wide receiver but they're all competitive guys you know they all want to have a role in the offense so you know, adding a guy like DeAndre Hopkins into that mix would seem to be like, you know, just kind of upset the apple cart. And again, like we're not talking about, you know, they don't have a lot of like, uh, there's not a lot of touches left for a big name guy in the way that their offense is right now. I mean, I think they're going to throw the ball more this year. You know, I think they will be, as you mentioned, Mike, like last year went so well for them that they were, you know, they had double digit leads in a lot of fourth quarters. I think that, you know, you'll see them in more close games and I think there will be more touches for all those guys, but I really think that, you know, the, the types of players that they're looking for, especially since they're already cognizant of making sure that all those guys are happy, I think they're looking for guys who can fill roles more than, the, you know, another big name. E.J. Smith is our guest, covers the Eagles for the Philadelphia Inquirer. Um, so, E.J., Jalen Hurts signs that quarter-billion-dollar deal during uh, the off season, and I understand that, that uh, you know, I don't want to be judging much out of three or four days of spring training in shorts and shells, um, and I don't really care about those interceptions he threw. But I'm just curious, from the brief time that you guys were allowed to be around the players, 
How's his demeanor? Uh, if, if you can answer the question yet, with added cash becomes added responsibility. How do you see Jalen Hurts right now? Yeah, really quick with the spring workout stuff. He, I don't think Jalen is necessarily like a practice player. You know, you hear that about quarterbacks. You hear like, you know, I, I mean, I, I didn't cover Nick Foles, but I heard that he wasn't always the sharpest uh, quarterback in practice. And then you hear on the flip side, well, Tom Brady, the ball never touches the ground. And I think Jalen Hurts is kind of, you know, a little bit more on the Nick Foles side of things. He's had some, uh, some training camp practices where, you know, you're just like, wait a minute, like this guy, you know, went how many passes without completing a pass, you know, completing a, anything like, you know, he's, he definitely has his, uh, his moments in practice. I'm not sure that that, so like you said, I wouldn't read too much into it. I think that that's just kind of who he is. Um, as far as his demeanor goes, I mean, you know, he's got his philosophical sayings and his, you know, his quotes. He seems like he has a whole book of them. And, uh, you know, I think he really hasn't changed much. You know, he does seem kind of like the same guy. Uh, you know, he doesn't seem to want to talk too much about these things. But at the same time, you know, you can see that, like, you know, as his, uh, you know, as his name kind of grows and, you know, he kind of gets more and more notoriety, like, he is doing a little bit more, you know, he, he did the commercial shoot and you're just going to start seeing him probably on your TV a little bit more, uh, how that changes his, uh, you know, his on field demeanor and the, the work that he puts in. I mean, he, he's very adamant that it's not going to change. And I think it's really one of those things where time will tell, but at the very least right now, I don't think you really notice much different other than, yeah, maybe a, a couple more sponsorships coming his way. EJ on the field with respect to Hertz. You mentioned the likelihood that they'll end up throwing the ball more this season because games will be closer and they'll have to throw the ball more uh, later in a game to try to win, which makes sense. Will the offense look any different? And what I mean by that is, will we see more of Hertz as a straight drop-back passer? Will we see the the RPO and the him kind of as the nerve center of everything with his running ability uh, just as much as we did a year ago? Will will what we see from him on the field look much different? You know, I don't think so. You know, I remember that this was a conversation with Cam Newton a few years ago. And, like, you know, I feel like a little bit with these, like, quarterbacks who are special because of their athletic ability, you know, their ability to extend plays and impact the running game, you know, I feel like you just have to look at them, like, a little differently. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of difficult to look at a $255 million man and say, like, okay, like, you're going to still have 15 carries a game in some games, but – you know, I really do think that you almost have to look at it like that's what makes you special. Maybe you won't play until you're in your late 30s or early 40s, but, you know, what makes you special right now is your impact on the running game and your ability to, you know, change the game with your legs. So I don't think that – I don't expect the Eagles offense to look much different. You know, that's obviously what they say, and I think it does. I think it makes sense. You know, maybe it isn't like, oh, well, he's three contracts in now, and, you know, he's in his late 30s and he's still going to play that way. I don't – you know, just like with Cam Newton, I think that – you just have to kind of like let them be them and figure it out later. Maybe the shelf life isn't as long as somebody like Tom Brady or, you know, you know, some of these other pocket passers who can last a little bit longer because they're not taking those hits. I think that's part of Jalen's game. And I don't think that they can take it away. Cause it's like, why would you pay him all that money and then try and change him? You know, it's, he's that, he's, point. he is who he is, you know? So, um, you know, it's like, it's almost like a running back, you know, not, not as drastic, obviously you're not expected to only last three or four years, but, I think, you know, you'd, you'd rather get eight years of Jalen Hurts being Jalen Hurts than 12 years of him trying to, you know, do like the Russell Wilson thing. I mean, obviously he's not – he still extends plays and everything like that, but I don't think you want him to ever turn into, a, you know, a guy who doesn't try to impact the game with his legs. All right, EJ Smith, I'm going to ask you to uh, either speculate wildly or ex- <laughs> give me 
knowledge that you have that maybe a lot of people don't hear. Uh, Vic Fangio, who was briefly with the Eagles last year during their run to the Super Bowl, uh, ended up with the Dolphins. And he gave a very interesting answer earlier this week uh, down in camp with, with Dolphins camp when he was asked about an ESPN report that said he likely would have been the Eagles defensive coordinator now if not for the whole Jonathan Gannon, Arizona Cardinals tampering situation. So I just want to play this sound for you. And see if mm-hmm. see if you've got more insight than I do, which I don't have much. So here we go. Report a couple weeks back that if not for the Jonathan Gannon tampering situation, you would have been an Eagles D coordinator. Is there any truth to that? Can you comment on that? Uh, that's possible, but I won't neither confirm nor deny it. That is what they used to call in the Watergate days a non-denial denial, <laughs> uh, which which again, if if there was nothing to it to me, he would say no. Um, what do you know, if anything, this whole Jonathan Gannon thing with the Eagles getting the draft pick on draft day, just it's it's like this mystery that nobody's ever really sussed out as far as I know. Yeah, I mean, you can just read between the lines and all this stuff, not just with the answer, but just with the last year. I mean, Fangio was kind of just around the Eagles organization for the entire season. You know, he was around training camp and, you know, he had an open line of communication with Gannon during the season you know, kind of as like an unofficial advisor. And then obviously, yeah, he was a part of the staff during the playoffs. So, I mean, he obviously had a good relationship with the Eagles organization, you know, the guys all the way at the top. And I do think that, you know, especially if you look at the framework of uh, Nick's staff, that they would have wanted an experienced guy like Fangio. I mean, he is the name right now as far as, you know, these, these uh, split safety coverages and just the trendy way to play defense in the NFL He's the guy who are, he, you know, he's the architect of it. So, mm-hmm. um, again, just reading between the lines of all this stuff, I do think that they would have pursued him if the timing was different. I mean, I'll be honest with you. When uh, Jonathan Gannon got the head coaching job, I mean, I was asking around, like, is the ink dry on Fangio's deal with the Dolphins yet? You know, is, is that the type of thing that they could rip up? And, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, you, you saw that he was actually identified by some people, you know, who – would know that, you know, as a possible defensive coordinator candidate, even after, for the Eagles, even after, you know, he uh, was allegedly moving on to the Dolphins. So I do think that there's something there, um, you know, and again, it's just like, I don't know, you know, if there was anything that could have been, I'm obviously on Gannon's side, there's something that could have been handled differently, but, you know, organization, I think that's part of the reason that they were, you know, uh, you know, so upset with the, the way that everything happened with Gannon. Hmm. All right. Uh, we're talking with EJ Smith from the Philadelphia Inquirer, the Eagles beat reporter, my colleague and friend. So, EJ, tell me the thing that's going to surprise Eagles fans heading into and coming out of training camp. Is there one position battle that is not coming up in discussions and kind of the general scuttlebutt around the team that you think has the chance to turn out differently than people expect? Uh, is there a player that you think is poised to take a real step forward or whose role might not be as... Uh, big or important as it was a season ago you know what's what's kind of poised to surprise people well I mean there's the obvious ones you know like I I think the team is really high on Sidney Brown and you know even watching him you know during practice like the the defensive backs are the closest uh, position group to us Um, and like Sidney Brown is impressive you know the way he's built and just the way that he moves you know you can definitely tell why they were so high on him so I mean that's more of an obvious one um, you know, I think that the, the public perception on Reed Blankenship is a little low, too. So I would say the safety group is interesting to me. Like, I really do think that, like, Reed Blankenship and Sidney Brown could be, 
your week eight and beyond starters, or even like maybe earlier on, I think that those guys, you know, both, I think that Blankenship, his draft pedigree is a big reason why people are down on him, but he can play, you know, he played meaningful snaps for them. Um, but if, you know, something a little bit more on like the, you know, something a little bit less on the radar, because I know people talk about the safety position. I mean, all the talk about Quez, I'm not sure that Alameda Zacchaeus isn't going to be the third wide receiver by the time that this is all said and done. This is all said and done. Like, Ooh. you know, I think that he's a good player. He's been productive with Atlanta. Um, you know, the one, the one big knock on him is that he doesn't have the positional versatility that Quez does. You know, Nick Sirianni likes his wide receivers to be interchangeable. You know, some, some coaches like a basketball team, you know, have a, a wide variety of guys who can play different roles. Nick is the other way. He kind of wants guys who can play all of the different spots. You know, A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, they're both productive in the slot. So having a slot-only guy like Olamide can be a little bit of a limiting factor, but I really do think that there's a chance that he could challenge for some playing time, especially if Quez struggles. Um, you know, obviously Quez is kind of the, uh, the, the hot name right now because of what Nick said uh, the other day, but I do think that Olamide is somebody who could surprise us. And then throwing you one more, I mean, this isn't – uh, you know, this is very much on the radar, but Christian Ellis has had a really good spring and he's another guy like Blankenship where it's like, you know, I, you know, I don't want to make too much of like spring practices here, but the guy really has like taken advantage of every opportunity the team has given him. You know, he was a special teams guy last year. You know, he was like the, the secret weapon when special teams are struggling mid season, Nick Sirianni is like, Oh, we, we've got something, uh, you know, we're going to make some changes. And it was adding Christian Ellis into the mix and he played well there. You know, and he played decent in the snaps that he had last year. I think he could uh, challenge for starting for a starting spot just because the way the Eagles' defense is set up, you know, it's like the defensive line is supposed to keep the guys off the line, keep, you know, the offensive line off the linebackers. You sh and that's why these undrafted guys like Alex Singleton can, like, succeed because you just need high-effort guys who, you know, willing to, to chase the ball. And I think Christian Ellis fits that bill. So I, I guess I gave you a couple there. I mean, those are the things that I'll be looking forward to for training camp. You know, some, some like, under-the-radar things. Nice. The only other downside to Alameda is that he's going to be a spell check killer for <laughs> everybody who covers the team. It took me long enough to get Shashevsky down. And right. I mean, there, are certain, there are certain names like you just always like, how did, is that an E before an I? How's that go? Uh, EJ Smith, thanks so much. Uh, follow him on Twitter at EJSmith94. Read him in the Inquirer. Really nice to talk to you. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks, enjoy EJ. Enjoy weekend. There you go. There you go. The Eagles are never off season, Mike. No, they they never are. And and I did the the math on EJ's age, even though he's a good friend. Uh, the fact that he was born in 1994 makes him 29, which makes yeah. him annoyingly precocious. I believe I have a necktie or two that might be older than that. But there you have it. <laughs> Harvey in Mount Airy's been hanging in. Harv, what are you thinking? Hey, how you guys doing? Enjoy All the show. Right. Thanks, Harvey. Thanks. I just wanted to chime in on on the debate between. Uh, Embiid and, and Joker, and I'm a lifelong basketball fan. Just love to see the game played with a lot of movement. I mean, that's the way I was taught to play. Mm -hmm. And just watching Joker play, I mean, I hate to say it, his his IQ of playing the game is to me is off the chart. I mean, and I kind of boil it down to, and I love Embiid's game, but if I if you were to go out and play a game of basketball, and I've never played on a high level. And you would ask yourself, who would you enjoy playing with the most? And I would probably pick uh, Joker. I mean, uh, if, no if doubt. you're moving without the ball, he's going to find you. And I look at Ben Simmons, even though he didn't shoot and couldn't shoot, if he played with somebody with, like Joker and if he just moved without the ball, he could probably average, 
I would say, between 18 and 20 points without even shooting a jumper, just well, moving without uh, the ball. Can I just say something? Uh, did you say Ben Simmons? Is that what you said? <laughs> <laughs> you did say Ben Simmons. I, I, I think I got to buy new headphones because I think these ones uh, have – Apparently, some sort of issue where Harvey, it sounded like you a said nerve. Ben Simmons. Harv, I, I love you, Harv, but that's that. No, Ben Simmons would not succeed with oh Magic Johnson, Earl and Monroe, and Earl Shaquille O'Neal, and Larry Seth Bird. Curry, right? Yeah, yeah, you pick your list. He ain't making it. Nope. But thanks, Nick in Collegeville. Hey, Nick. Gentlemen, I'm a lifelong basketball. Well, from, from, yeah, from everything. Well. <laughs> Basketball, soccer, yep. your favorite sport, Ryan. Yeah, no, hey, you, you've contributed on everything. <laughs> um, listen, I, and that name came up, Benson. I was 100% always more of a Joel Embiid than a Ben Simmons guy. I always thought, like probably you and a lot of people, not a lot, but a, a, a nice majority that Ben Simmons was a fraud. I mean, basically, I just put it that simple. Like mm-hmm. the guy just – the guy, he was – his age when he went to college, he was just a phenom. Okay. He was, he was Wait, just a you didn't call phenom. about Ben, so I don't want to get no, sidetracked anyway, on that. So, Joel. Although, um, I hold on. I will get sidetracked yeah. for one second because you've seen it on social media now, right? Everybody's seen oh, it Oh, yeah. Ben Simmons back in the gym. Looking yeah, ripped. I love it. Yeah. yeah. He's the he's best anyway. off-season basketball he's, he's player He's set for, to be on the cover of Men's Health, Glenn. Yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> anyway, Nick, what do you got? Um, so I've always been a Joel guy, uh, but I'll say like your last caller, I, I'm inching away now from him because the more I see the Joker, uh, he, he what he does is he makes his team. He wins the game. Period. He doesn't care what the team wants from him. He wins the game. The one downside I've always said about Joel is he never gives me a 17 rebound game, like never, and he never gives me a eight or nine assist game, like, and and but. Unlike Michael Jordan, who could not win without Scottie Pippen and um, uh, who's it, Rodman, uh, Joel needs the right complementary players. I mean, Aaron Gordon is a great complementary player. Uh, I don't think it really is something as balanced. It is, and I got to hit a break, but it really is something. Watching this series, when you see the guys on Miami, right, mm-hmm. second round picks, undrafted guys, just like team yep. guys. Yep. Kind of like what EJ was saying about what the Eagles are looking for in linebackers, exactly. right? Just yes. high-energy guys who will run to the ball is the football equivalent. And Denver and just guys who know their role, play their role, play hard, and so on. And unfortunately, the Sixers have not overall been built that way. Yeah, and there is something, too, to the idea that Jokic and I think we're selling Jamal Murray a little short here, uh, allow those guys to be more than what they might be with another team. You know, Michael... Porter Jr. Uh, I almost said Michael Jr. Porter at like Charles Barkley has, <laughs> but uh, Michael Porter Jr. is not a great defensive player, but he's got pieces around him that make up for that, and Jokic sets him up to shoot from the outside in a way that maximizes who Porter Jr. is, and uh, I think there is something to be said for that. Again, in some ways, you're talking about very, very small differences between a guy like Jokic and a guy like Embiid, but those differences in these moments matter. Absolutely. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack. Now coming up, what we're watching, including a show that Mike's been paying a lot of attention to. I think he may have a mixed review. And a bunch of stuff that is coming up uh, on on TV, some of it very Philadelphia-related. We're going to get into that. At some point today, I just I need to unload on professional golf. I need to do a rant. I'm not sure if we'll work that in 
to the next segment. But before we leave at one, Mike, I, I, I got to let it rip. I will so. clear the runway for you, my friend. There you go. Uh, Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now, Saturday morning on 94 WIP. Uh, are you tired of dealing with those old, inefficient windows in your house? Maybe it's time to go Guida. How about that? Drafty, beat-up-looking entry door. Man, you painted over that thing so many times. Hey, go Guida. If you need added protection from the elements with a new storm door, go Guida. And that sliding patio door, the garage door, you know you got to replace that. Go Guida. Whatever your, your home improvement needs are, I suggest you go Guida. It's the great people at Guida Door and Window. Help get your project started. Guida is offering 20% off all windows and doors and allowing you to start your project with no money down and up to three full years to pay it off interest-free. That's right. Receive 20% instant savings with the luxury of paying off your project interest-free for up to 36 months. Restrictions apply. Offers for a limited time. Hey, what are you waiting for? It's time you finally go Guida. Call today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. All right. What we're watching is brought to you by Guida Door and Windows. Receive 40, uh, 20%. Excuse me. Receive 20% of all windows doors with no money down. Up to three years to pay it off interest-free. Call Guida Door and Window today, one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at go, G-U-I-D-A. Dot com. So you started on a show with Arnold. I did. I am a longtime Arnold fan. Uh, you know, I mean, the Terminator, Terminator 2, Predator. You're talking about some of the twins. <laughs> uh, twins is not good. Um, no. But I mean, you're talking about some great movies. And I always liked Arnold. I always liked the comedy side of Arnold. I really did. You know. Kindergarten Cop is not a great movie, but It's Not a Tuma is an incredibly funny line in the context yeah. of that movie. So Yeah, he were, he's, he's, a, he's a very talented guy, very he, smart guy. He is. So he is, has a new show on Netflix called FUBAR, uh, in which he plays a CIA operative who is trying to retire, wants to retire, get back to spending time with his family, uh, including his grown daughter, who's in her late 20s, who's Boy, medic- so, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it yeah. sounds exactly like The Old Man, which I watched last summer, although it, that was a drama, but same exact setup. Yeah, and, and this is a comedy. So he wants to retire, get back with his family, and he gets pulled back in an assignment uh, to try to take down the son of a crime lord who he had killed years earlier. And he infiltrates... Uh, the, the, the sun crime lord's lair and compound, and he has to extract another operative. And it turns out the other operative is his daughter, Emma. So from this, violence and hijinks ensue. In, in terms of tone, Glenn, it's very much like True Lies, uh, the Ooh. movie he did in 1994 yeah. uh, where, with Tom Arnold, which was like half incredible action and half really funny comedy. The problem here... Wait, Tom Arnold's the other person you're remembering in that movie? He was the second... And Jamie Lee Curtis, obviously. Thank you. Okay, sorry. Yes. Fair enough. Fair enough. But I'm talking about in terms of comedy, not in terms of, you know, physical attractiveness. Okay. Um, But anyway, the problem with FUBAR is that it's not all that funny. It's, you know, and it it would work better if they did it as a movie like True Lies. The problem is it's 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 not funny and it's eight episodes... In this series. Uh, So you're getting kind of the same thing over and over and over again. So I can't recommend the show, really. Mm. What I can say is that the actress who plays Arnold's daughter, 
Monica Barbaro, which should be a familiar name to people for a couple of reasons. Um, she played the fighter pilot Phoenix in Top Gun Maverick and was terrific. She is terrific in this. She is funny. She is charismatic. And I'm telling you right now, Glenn, she is going to be the next Sandra Bullock in Hollywood. I think she's got the potential to be that big a superstar, that much of an appeal. Um, and I think this is just kind of the beginning for her. If she gets the right projects, uh, it's going to be, you know, she's going to be one of those people we talk about, like a, a Julia Roberts or some of the other big names in Hollywood. What, what's her last name? Barbaro. And that should, that's the other reason that should call to mind, the other thing that should call uh, some interesting memories and WIP moments to mind. Uh, obviously, Barbaro is the name of the racehorse that in 2006 won the Kentucky Derby and then was injured coming out of the gate at the Preakness and had to be put down. And it led to the great Jan Gorham, who you worked with for a long, long time, Glenn, uh, delivering this terrific, memorable, immortal news update. No more misery for Barbaro. He's dead. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. I love Jan. I worked with Jan. I was doing nights then. And, we're, you know, we're, we're, we go to a break. We're going to come out of a break. I put my headset on. She's going to do the update. And I hear that. It's like, I couldn't even do the next segment of the show. Jan, Jan had a way, man. Jan she, knew how to hook him. She led the league intact. Absolutely. <laughs> no more misery for Barbro. He's dead. God, she was something special. Oh, gosh, Jan amazing. was great. I I don't know where Jan is now. People ask me about her once in a while. She retired and moved down to Florida. I know that, but I, I Jan was a pretty private person. Mm-hmm. But okay, so not what networks I, Fubar on? Uh, Netflix can't All recommend right. the show, but can recommend like buy stock in Monica Barbaro. Barbaro, she's great. She's great. Okay, a couple other things. Showtime has launched a three part documentary on Wilt Chamberlain called Goliath. It starts on July 16th on Showtime, and it covers uh, Will Chamberlain's life from birth, uh, or I'm sorry, from his time at Overbrook High to his death in 1999. Kevin Garnett is one of the people who produces it. One of the interesting things is that they say in the thing I read that it's going to use artificial intelligence to recreate Wilt's voice as part of the narration. I don't know. No, okay, there you go. I was about to say, I, I'm a little queasy about that. I, that doesn't strike me as honest. No, this was a big point of uh, contention and controversy with an Anthony Bourdain documentary from a year or two ago where they kind of pieced his voice together and had him saying things, I think, that he didn't actually say or reading from his one of his books, his autobiographies, but he didn't actually do it. It was all AI. Uh, I don't like this at all. I don't like the idea of it. Not a fan. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see a three part documentary on yes. Wilt. I think Wilt has been forgotten, because, you know, by anybody your age. You never saw Wilt play, no. So, you I know, didn't. Wilt's Wilt's just a story to you. And I think a lot of basketball fans now will talk about, you know, who's the best players in the history of NBA. Well, there's Jordan and there's LeBron and there's Kobe and the and Wilt will not be in the conversation. So I, I'm I'm eager to see that. But I am really, like you, not trusting what they're going to do with that. No, and it's a shame because Wilt's a fascinating story that you're right. I think a lot of people have forgotten about or never knew about. And it's a documentary about him is worthwhile. But the AI component of it makes me queasy. Speaking of 
basketball documentaries related to the Sixers. The one came out just in the last couple weeks on NBA TV that focused on the 2001 Sixers. It got really good reviews. It got very solid ratings. And I'm just delighted to say that Cliff from Reading, who probably doesn't go at the top of his resume, but was once a writing student of mine in St. Joe's, wrote a book that became part of the inspiration for this. Cliff, first of all, it was really nice to see you the other night at my charity event. You're looking great. You've, you've, you've aged marvelously. Um, what did you think? I mean, this was, this was you know, the story that you were writing back then about the, this team in your childhood. What do you think of the show? Uh, well, first of all, th- thanks for having me today. And, and your, your charity event on Thursday was, was great. I had a great time. It was definitely worth going to bed late and getting up early the next morning. So, so that was terrific. Looking forward to the next one. But in terms of the documentary, I, I, I actually, dis- despite the fact that, that the producer told me how much of, of my book that she used to help illustrate her talking points, I learned a few things from the documentary, uh, such as the timing of some of the most intense conversations that Allen Iverson and Larry Brown had that proved to be pivotal moments uh, in, in their relationship. And, and, and really what, what makes this work when you think back is you have, you have a story arc here that you, that, that's really that's a lot easier to define compared to others when you're talking about sports teams. You've got the two main characters. One comes in in 96. The next comes in in 97. You've got a conflict there. And then as the stakes get higher and higher over the next couple years, you continue to see ups and downs leading all the way to a climactic moment, game one of the finals, and, and then the dust kind of settles from there. So, of course, I'm going to be biased. I, I thought it was terrific, uh, and, and I'm glad to hear that other people thought it was great as well. Did, did it surprise you at all, Cliff, that it took this long to give the 2001 Sixers this kind of treatment? Ooh, I, I'm, actually, I'm actually not too surprised. I remember that Comcast Sportsnet did a special on, um, on the 2001 team for their 10th anniversary, and, and I, just, I think it, it comes down to what, what companies are willing to invest in. And, and I know that Turner Sports uh, and NBA TV, they're, they're working on this series of basketball stories, and 2001 Sixers happen to be next on their list. And I, I feel like it's the right time. It's the right time because you still have uh, a lot of the people back from back then who you could still talk to about it. And, and it's far enough so that we, we need to be refreshed a little bit, especially, mm-hmm. you know, especially at this kind of, kind of time in Philadelphia sports. It's amazing. So it's, I, it didn't surprise me too much. It's amazing. That it's more than 20 years ago. Cause yeah. it really, it, it, it I is. remember it so vividly. It was, that year, how people got so caught up in that and people driving around with the flags, the flags in their cars yep. and the run that they – improbable run and they win the first game, that that one sticks with me more than so many other uh, even great sports seasons. Well, listen, Cliff, you did a great job, and uh, congrats to you. It was um, – you know, I'm sure you must have felt good when that came out. And now that uh, we've caught up, make sure you stay in touch. Absolutely. No, thank you so much for taking the time to – to talk with me and mike it was great meeting you you too as well looking forward to to reading your book the rise about kobe bryant 
And, uh, and hey, check out yeah, Mike's book. It would make for a great Father's Day gift uh, coming up next week, everyone. So thank you. <laughs> Cliff, really I, I, I just want the audience to know I did not put Cliff up to that. He is just a genuinely good human being who is pumping up my book for Father's Day. So thank well, you. Uh, so so we'll, we'll pay it back to you. Is your book still available, Cliff? Yeah. Can we go on Amazon and buy it? <laughs> of course. It's available on Amazon, uh, as, as it always has been. Uh, you know, if you if you're a bas- if you have a dad who's a basketball fan, Sixers fan, Philly sports fan, Iverson fan, just you know, all, all you gotta do is go to Amazon. It'll it'll be there, you know, in a, at your house in a couple days. And uh, and, and if anything, it, it would make for a great coffee book. Uh, coffee hold on, table Cliff. I, I, well. When I when I taught you in St. Joe's, I I emphasized synergy marketing, the whole thing. You've never said the yeah. name of the book. Oh, <laughs> my bad. The Seventy Sixers West Iverson. Reliving the ride. The cover there you go. is Iverson stepping over Tyron Lowe. And I have to mention, half of the money that I make from this does go to fill abundance. I started doing that during the pandemic, and I want to continue doing that uh, as long as I can. So Very nice. It's That's a win win for everyone. You're a great guy. Be well. Thank you, Cliff. Thank you, guys. Thank All you. Right. Have a great rest of the show. All right. Take care. Thank you so much. Very nice guy. Terrific. Nice kid. Guy. He's, not, he's no longer a kid. No, no right. well, kid anymore. One other thing I want to work in is there, uh, I'm sure you got the same um, PR release that I did that says new TV series on hockey's Broad Street Bullies in the Works, Rocky meets Slapshot. It's a proposed TV series. So I'm not quite sure like how far along it is mm-hmm. in the works. Um, but they are they are working on a TV series that essentially is going to here, here's how this it's Rocky meets the raucous mayhem of Slapshot set in the freewheeling boogie nights of the 1970s. <laughs> so there, that sounds there you go. There, there's something to it. There's something about bullies is the name of, of what they're proposing to do. Look, first of all, that team is rife for a movie treatment with Bernie Perrant and Bob Clark and the Bullies and Moose DuPont and Dave Schultz and all of that. I think Philadelphia in the 70s as a topic lends itself to this kind of film treatment. So if they go forward with this show, and my uh, friend and former colleague Sam Carcitti uh, is connected to it, I think it could be great. I really do. I think it could be great too. So real quickly, we got the AI Larry Brown documentary that just ran. We have the Wilt three-parter that's coming up in July, and we have a proposed TV series in the works about the Flyers. By the way, I remember Rob Zombie, the rock star, mm-hmm. was he was wanting to do a Bullies movie about 8 or 9 years ago that just kind of stalled out. So yeah, it I, did. I I hope hope this works. So here's the question. Uh, and I'll ask you, we'll tell you, we'll have callers chime in on mm-hmm. that. What's the other Philadelphia sports story that should be turned into, you could say, either a movie or a TV series? Do you want me to weigh in now, or do you want to just... Yeah, you weigh in, and then we'll throw it to the people. I, you take, take your best shot. I, I think, uh, and, and we, you threw this question out to people on Twitter, and a couple people mentioned what I think would be worthwhile, and I kind of hit it at it just now, which is the rise, kind of the, the great decade of Philadelphia sports from, let's say, 1974, or so to 1984-85 uh, because not only were the four pro teams kind of all terrific during that time, the Flyers win the two Stanley Cups, the Eagles get to the Super Bowl under Dick Vermeil, the Phillies are terrific every year and then finally win the World Series and the Sixers uh, keep breaking your hearts until they win in 83. You've also got, as I said, what's going on in the city. You have Frank Rizzo as mayor. 
you have the sound of Philadelphia kind of driving pop music throughout the United States. You have, at the end of that 10-year period, Move in 1985. There's so much going on during that period that I think if you could find a way to combine all of those threads, uh, it would make a terrific movie or streaming series, something like that. pretty good. I like that. It's good. We'll throw that out to other people. I see we got uh, a good amount of calls. So uh, hang in. We'll get you guys on the other side. Storm and John and Lou and Kevin and everybody else. Coming up at noon o'clock, which isn't really a word, but there you go. Tom McCarthy, voice of the Phillies, is going to join us at that time. With Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Mack. Now 215-592-9494 on 94 WIP. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack, now Saturday, 94 WIP. I'll get to our callers in a moment, but uh, it is time for our weekly check-in with the doctors from Cooper Joint. Dr. Mark Pollard is nice enough to be with us today. Doc, I hope uh, this air is cleared up enough for you to get outside and enjoy it. Indeed it is, and I have. Thank you. Good. It was pretty awful. It was nasty. Not good. We went from three years of wearing masks inside to having to wear them outside. Yes. Um, But. We want to ask you about pitchers' arms. There have been – we've talked about Tommy John surgery with you before, more than once because Phillies pitchers have been through it more than once. But this season alone, there have been 31 major league pitchers who have undergone Tommy John surgery. 12 in May alone includes Jacob deGrom, Robbie Ray, Cy Young winners, great young prospects. Uh, Elbow and shoulder injuries are up 44% from just a year ago, according to Baseball Prospectus Research. What's going on here, Doc? Well, um, certainly the incidence seems to be increasing. Um, And, you know, as with most things, it's probably due to a bunch of different reasons, multifactorial. Um, You know, is it uh, obviously people are the goal is to try to throw harder. You know, the harder you can throw mm-hmm. it, the faster you make the ball go, the harder it is to hit. And so there's an incentive for the pitchers to try to throw hard. And the harder you throw, the more stress it puts on your arm and your elbow and your shoulder. And so predictably, injuries follow when you kind of start pushing the envelope. Um, I don't know if – I know that they've changed the rules this year. They have the the, the pitch clock. And I'm not sure if that is uh, – affecting well, pitch, pitchers pitching, will tell you it is yeah mechanics or something like that i mean that's the that's the easy thing to point to the biggest change that there's been at least in to, to my knowledge um and so are they not able to go through their normal preparations and uh, thus putting increased stress on these different areas leading to these injuries doctor there's been debate for years now about how to try to stem this tide the con- curtail the number of elbow injuries and arm injuries that pitchers at the major league level and even pitchers at lower levels of baseball, even as young as high school, are suffering. Is it? And you hear often, at least I do, older baseball fans will say, you know, when we were kids, we threw all the time. You, you threw rocks, you threw footballs, you threw baseballs, and so we didn't have injuries like this. Is is the solution, is the potential solution throwing more when you're young? Is it throwing less when you're young? Is it don't throw a curveball until you're 17? Like, what is, in your mind, uh, the starting point to trying to save these arms from the surgeon's table? 
Well, I think, to be honest, most of the uh, studies have shown it's you know, more of a product of throwing year-round. Uh, in areas of the country you know, where the weather is good, where baseball goes on year-round, there tends to be an increased number of these uh, Tommy John-type surgeries. Uh, you know, traditionally, you know, the kids weren't supposed to throw a curveball until they shaved. You know, that was supposed to be the uh, the age when the uh, when the arm was mature enough to go through that. Um, I think there's truth that the rate of Tommy John surgery was not as high. You know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. However, back in those days, you didn't have specialized athletes, you know, doing one sport all the time year-round. Uh, most of the time, you know, the gifted athletes were doing different sports at different times of the year, and so you were not putting the stress on the on the arm in the same way day in, day out, year after year. You know, at the Little League level, they, of course, have pitch counts, um, but, you know, sometimes that's circumvented when kids are playing in two or three different leagues and one league doesn't know what the other one's doing. And so there is just this, uh, don't want to call it an epidemic, but there is, you know, a, a rise in the number of these problems that people are having. Yeah, I, and I listen, I'll call it an epidemic because it is so much and it's so many pitchers. Fortunately, Andrew Painter of the Phillies has been able to avoid it. They're trying to do everything else so that he doesn't get it. We will see and hope that he comes back. Dr. Mark Pollard of Cooper Bone and Joint, always a pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. All right, thanks. You guys Thank, as well. Thanks, Thank Dr. Very Pollard. Much. One of the other things that in the story that I read, and you and I read that same story, is mm -hmm. they say throwing weighted balls, which is something that guys are doing now, they think may be contributing. Yeah, and the really scary part, and this has been out there for a while as a discussion topic and a reality, is that you'll hear of teenage pitchers who are electing with the consent of their parents to have Tommy John surgery. Yeah, I know. Because the feeling is they'll come back stronger and throw harder after the surgery yeah. than they did before it. It's, yeah, the, the Todd Marinovich's dad. Exactly. Kind of thing. Yep. Exactly. Let's get to Storm in Upper Derby. You're on with uh, Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now. Hey, Storm. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So I got two quick points. Basically, uh, both about the Sixers. I'm tired of seeing Embiid uh, not play with the level of tenacity that some of these other centers have. I mean, I like to use the Heat as an example because I like to think that they play with the right mentality and the right style of basketball, the way Bam Adebayo plays above the rim and full speed, guys like Robert Williams. But uh, I just wanted to hear your take on that and uh, another point if we have the time. But what do you guys Go ahead, Mike. You go. Yeah, I, look, I'm always a little bit skeptical, Storm, um, whenever someone cites the tenacity with which uh, another player, a certain player plays because sometimes what that means is that that player doesn't have the level of athleticism that and skill than another player might have, right? You'd always hear this about David Eckstein, the shortstop for the Cardinals and the scrappy. Angels. He's so scrappy. Well, of course he's scrappy. Dirt he's, dog. He's 5'8", 150 pounds. He has to be scrappy. I'll, give me Alex well, Rodriguez playing shortstop every time. Now, having said that, I understand what you're saying about Adebayo and Embiid, and I, I do agree with you that Embiid sometimes looks like he's just kind of going through the motions. And I've made this point before that I think there's something about the way he came to play basketball. Uh, Glenn, you and I have talked about this. The fact that he grew up in a faraway country, discovered basketball late in life, the sport and his skill in it took him from a situation that would not have been as favorable as the one he's in now where he's making millions of dollars and has this amazing life. I think that plays into this a little bit. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. Good David Eckstein poll, by the way. I didn't. Ah, I tried. Not, not a name I anticipated coming up today. I'm trying to keep you on your toes. All right, let us talk to the fine young gentleman, Lou, in Mount Laurel. Hey, Lou. Hey, Glenn. Uh, very timely topic because I currently have a son going through PT who hurt his arm pitching, and is we're still right? waiting for him to get cleared. How old is he? So, 14, so I get it. Yeah, wish you the best, man. Good luck. Yeah, man. and I think and I think there's a lot of factors that go into that stuff. Part of it is the way these these tournaments are structured. These kids could play anywhere from four to sometimes up to six games in a weekend in two days. And if you don't have the arms, these kids are throwing a lot. Yeah, that's and the coaches yeah. Do a great job, but man, it's um, it's a lot. But you know, I don't know. There's no, I don't know what the answer is. No, I appreciate but, it. Um. Glenn, can I ask a quick uh, movie question to you before sure. I give uh, my – I saw a movie last night. I want your take on if you saw it. Uh, uh, Nightmare Alley? I did not. With with Bradley Cooper. And, okay, I was wondering your take on that because it was uh, – it boggled my mind after it was over. So in okay. a good or a bad way? Uh, very good. Very okay. good. Okay. So highly highly recommend I'll, that. I'll watch Bradley Cooper in just about anything. So that's yeah, him, yeah. He was great in Cape Blanchett, and it was one of those movies where you're watching, and every other actor, and you're like, oh, I know that person. Oh, I know look that at Tony Collette, yeah. who's really oh, good. She's great. Willem Dafoe, Rooney yeah. Mara, great, Mary great. Steenburgen, Ron yeah. Perlman. Wow, this has yeah. a cast. It's kind yeah. of a mystery, right, Lou? Yes and no. I don't want to say too much without giving. It. It's definitely worth a watch, and but you have to be uninterrupted and pay attention. It was really All good, right. though. Okay, All right, good. So, Thanks for the recommendation. Um, Glenn, we're you know we're, we're watching the Stanley Cup, and it hurts my soul to think that there's going to be a Stanley Cup parade in my lifetime in potentially Las Vegas or, I know. God forgive me for saying it, Florida. But I know. do you think the Flyers are looking at these two teams left, or the NHL is going? Wait a minute, we don't need one superstar. You have teams that are going deep in the playoffs with just four balanced lines. Do you think that's going to shift? To that's going to kind of change the dynamic of the way the Flyers are approaching things now. Not if they have the opportunity to get a superstar. So, oh no, I wouldn't turn one down. I'm just saying. It's... Yeah. No, well, I I don't know because I don't know how to answer the question because talent wins, right? Yeah. Um, and and to me, top level talent wins the most. Now, if you have a great coach who knows how to build, you can win without, which is kind of I guess what you're seeing here a bit. I mean, there's some stars on these teams. Kachuk is, is a great player. There's some great players on these teams. Oh yeah. But um, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I think to your point, Lou, I think higher-end talent kind of shows more in the NHL now than it has in a long time. You look at the point totals yeah. uh, of players like Dreisaitl and McDavid and uh, guys like that. You need that measure of skill, and the Flyers don't have anywhere near what they yeah. need. And I think a team like Las Vegas probably has – more of it across those four lines. You don't necessarily need a top-heavy team, you know, one or two guys like Edmonton has with the guys I mentioned. But it, Las Vegas was the best team during the regular season and has kind of rolled through the playoffs because of the very reason you cited. They have a terrific top line, yeah. Marcineau and those guys, but all four lines can can bring it. And they have guys whose yeah. scoring has gone down, like uh, William Carlson. He was a 40-goal guy a couple years oh, ago. Yeah. But now he's Sells just a, a little bit. Yeah, but he's just a terrific two-way forward too, and yeah. scores when you need him to. And and guys, I think I think two uh, two good. You guys talked about documentaries on yes. on, on the Philadelphia teams, and just watched a very good one by the way, the thirty for thirty on American Gladiators, which was phenomenal. It was excellent. I watched a lot Is of that, that right? too. Lou. It was yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. Uh, um, my my documentary, I would say two years. One on the '87 Flyers, who was a game away from winning the cup, you know, on the heels of. 
yeah. losing a goaltender two years ago. And what about just the last calendar year in Philadelphia sports? You lose two major championships in the same day. You have a team come out of nowhere, almost win the World Series. Just the last year here was unbelievable. It's pretty good. Those, uh, are, those are two good ideas. Yeah. I like the 87 Flyers idea. Thank you, Lou. That is a good one. The 80, there, there are certain teams that work. When I put this on social media, and the, and the question is, if you were doing a show, a, a TV show or a movie about something in Philadelphia sports, what would you do? And I got a lot of really good responses on social media. Some of them teams, some of them individuals, some circumstances. The team that came up the most was the 93 Phillies. Yeah. Which yeah. was which was a lot of fun. Which, which, and you'd have to get like guys like Dykstra kind of admitting – yeah. What was going on behind the scenes? Yeah, well, that's and, the problem. Is you have to deal with Dykstra if you're filming. Well, that. yeah, that's true. No bigger jackass exists in this world. Don't sugarcoat right. it, Glenn. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Coming up, we're going to check in with Tom McCarthy and those red hot fills, and take your calls. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack, now on ninety four WIP. Hey, you tired of dealing with those old inefficient windows in your house? Maybe it's time to go, Guida. How about that drafty, beat-up-looking entry door you painted over more times you can count? Well, go Guida. If you need added protection from the elements with a new storm door, go Guida. What about that sliding patio door, the garage door you've been meaning to replace? Go Guida. Whatever your home improvement needs are, I suggest you go Guida with my good friends at Guida Door and Window. To help get your project started, Guida is offering 20% off all windows and doors while allowing you to start your project with no money down and up to three full years to pay it off interest-free. That's right. Receive 20% instant savings with the luxury of paying off your project interest-free for up to 36 months. Restrictions apply. Offers for a limited time. So what are you waiting for? It's time you finally go Guida. Call today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Down. And a high fly ball to deep right field. Walk-off number four. Kyle Schwarber has just walked off the Dodgers. Here in the bottom of the ninth inning, a solo home run. He knew it as soon as it left the bat. And the Phillies win it 5-4. to four. They do it again on back-to-back nights. Last night it was Cody Clemens. Tonight it's Kyle Schwarber. Well, what a terrific call last night. I think it was like 9.30-ish, 9.40. I don't remember exactly what time. But I'm watching Tom McCarthy as he rightfully gets excited about that. Great job there, Scott, and thanks for joining us. (laughs) Thanks, buddy. How you doing? Good. So we are, I don't know, we, me, so reluctant to say they're back. They've turned a corner because I've seen so far this year, they win three, they lose three. They win five, they lose five. Now they've won, what, six in a row. And as you mentioned there, the two walk-off nights. Are we feeling this is June and this team is now in full flight? We confident saying that, Tom McCarthy? Well, I think the starting pitching to me is the greatest indication. Uh, I mean, I, they've been consistent. good this now. They're not a good team. Tom, we got a really bad. We got some kind of bad connection. We got some bad connection with all kinds of weird feedback. Go somewhere else because. uh, Yeah. Does that that work? Yes. Much better. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, the Tigers are not a very good team, obviously. Oh, geez. Oh, God. Tom, I tell you what. We're we're, going to let you go and we're going to call you back because this is not working. So. Um, Dan, do us a favor. Try to get Tom. See if we can get that going. I'm, I'll take a phone call in the interim, and yeah. then we'll 
try to get back to Tom because that it sounded like he was scuba diving yeah or a sci-fi movie yeah it it was really (sighs) odd let's get uh let's get Warren and Gwyneth Valley Warren you got a theory on all these pitcher injuries well it's more than a theory and you know me Glenn from trying to you know call in and talk to you about your health and I know Mike is an excellent writer and it would be a terrific subject to sit down and talk about because I think there's a tremendous amount that is not said from an educational standpoint about um, body maintenance and, um, and diet and, and stretching and certain uh, practitioners such as chiropractors and massage people um, that can teach people how to take care of their bodies instead of wearing out the parts. And as you guys know, repetitive motion injuries occur in many, many fields, and baseball is no exception. So my feeling is um, the pressure to perform uh, probably, like you guys are saying, with you know, many innings, many pitches, um, very little rest, and no maintenance or, or little maintenance for people to heal their bodies and give themselves time to um, keep in shape is actually – you know, hand in hand, part of this problem but, but, that's causing let, let more Let me just give you a little, a little pushback, which is to say, I mean, these guys are professional trainers. These guys, you know, they're 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 not exactly slobbering around. Well, at the highest level, you have professional trainers, but to your point and and to a previous caller is at the lower levels, there's very little information, and you don't have the access to professional information unless you seek it out. And you would have to be quite lucky, in my opinion, to um, have the best diet, the best rest, and um, and the proper stretching to sustain yeah. yourself. Warren, I got to run because Tom's back, but I just disagree in in terms of like this is Jacob Degrom getting it. Jacob yeah. Degrom, you know, has five dietitians, a personal chef, and three trainers. Although to to his point, Cole Hamels loved having a chiropractor, and he never had Tommy John surgery. Well, that's true. Tom McCarthy has never had Tommy John surgery, to my knowledge. Is that correct, Tom? I have not. No, I my shoulder has nothing left in it. I probably need rotator cuff surgery, but no, no right. Tommy John surgery. By the way, the 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 ultimate Tom McCarthy moment will always be when you stuck up that old first baseman's glove and caught the that's ball right. when you guys were doing the seats. Nothing that, that's, cooler. Nothing that remains cooler. one of the great moments of all time. The ball is actually in that glove right now. I mean, I use the glove still when I throw BP to, you know, to Tommy uh, while he's, yeah. when he's home. Um, but the, the ball is actually in the glove. I actually had it in my hand the other day because I was thinking about getting Freddie to sign it, uh, but I decided not to do it. But, yeah, okay. it was uh, – it, it was – it's still one of the cooler moments I think I've ever been part of. It's Although catching good. the hot dog two years later was even harder because I had a fishing net. Well, they... <laughs> okay. No, but it's po- right. impossible to be smoother than you were catching that home run. Yeah. Let's get back, well, get back to where we were, which is things are all working now, and I believe from as much as we could attribute to you 20,000 leagues under the sea was that you think it's the starting pitching more than anything? I do. Uh, I, I mean, I, I've believed that for the last couple of weeks that they, that that's what they needed to get right. Now, again, it, it's been a week and it's been three games against the Tigers, but I thought all, I thought everybody's looked really good. Um, I thought Wheeler looked great the other night. I thought Noel looked awesome the other night. So, and I thought Ranger faced the, the toughest of the lineups and really got through it as well. So that to me is a big deal. Uh, it really is going through this lineup the way Ranger did last night. Uh, and hopefully that'll continue as we get set for today's game. 
you know, it's a tough matchup because this Bobby Miller kid, although he's a, he's just a kid, he's a really good pitcher. So, you know, I think taking this series is going to be a really good indicator for this team. So, Tom, it the calendar flips, and Kyle Schwarber goes from being a guy who, like, you're sending me up there to hit, like, four out of every five times to launching home runs. And have you ever talked to him or gotten any indication from anybody on the team why it is that he's so great in June? Why does it take him so long to kind of hit this stride? He, I don't think he knows, Mike, just from talking to him the other day. I mean, he said that he wishes it wasn't that way, but he's excited that it's that way because he's in June now. Uh, but he, does, he, he has no real understanding as to why it is. I think it, there's a correlation to this particular June because they put him back in the, the leadoff spot. And I think this game is so mental on so many levels that I think he's comfortable as a leadoff hitter. And that that is sort of invigorating him to a certain extent. Um, maybe it's coincidental, but that to me is it might be even more of a part of why he's hitting now because he's batting leadoff. And again, it's between the years a lot of times this game. I, in fact, I would think it's 90% of the time. So um, that may make him feel a little bit better that he's batting in the leadoff spots. All right, between the years is a good segue to what I'm about to ask you. Aaron Nola did have that great start the other night, carried a no-hitter deep into the game, but still seems, and I think we'll say, that he's affected by the pitch clock, that he hasn't quite figured out. There was a story came out in The Athletic today that there's a sense that it actually runs faster or, I guess, starts earlier uh, here yeah. in Philadelphia than other yeah. markets, and so pitchers are really unhappy what is the impact you see from that on Aaron and even on other pitchers here? Well, I do think it's had an impact on Aaron, and I think it's had an impact on Zach as well. And I think the Phillies are, as a staff, are trying to figure that out. They're going through different, um, they're going through different simulations during these these bullpen sessions to try to get the mind and the body sped up and to understand it a little bit more. I mean, Taiwan Walker told us the other day that in between starts, he's taking ground balls now because he feels like even though he's in tremendous shape, and he is, he needs to get in even better shape because of the pace of the game and how different it is. So I don't know if, I mean, they have obviously the statistical data that says that the the pitch clock is being started earlier here than anywhere else. But in reality, if you're following the rules, there are other ballparks that aren't starting the pitch clock when it should be started, honestly. We felt that way early on this season. So I don't know if it's, being, if it's being sped up here, but there's a certain time when the ball gets back into the pitcher's glove that that's when the timer is supposed to start. Now, the umpire also has control of it too, and, and I, I will admit that there are some crews that take it a lot lighter than others. Now, whether they're talked to, talk to in between starts, I have no idea, but I know there are some crews that do not twirl the finger to get the clock to start when they're supposed to do it. But I do think the timer has had an effect on the starting pitchers around the league, and I think that the Phillies have a few that it has affected, and they're trying, you know, they're like everybody else, when there's something new, they're trying to figure out how to make it better from their standpoint when they get out on the hill. We're talking to Tom McCarthy, of course, the voice of the Phillies. And, Tom, you mentioned how important it is uh, for a player to be right mentally in between his ears to succeed in this game. And Nick Castellanos has been a completely different player uh, and hitter this season than he was last season. To my untrained eye, it looks like his swing is a little shorter, a little quicker. 
what are you seeing and what's the chicken or egg here? Was he feeling better and that helped him to hit better or did he start off better and now he's in a better place mentally? Mike, I think it's all that. I, I do think that the la- last year in the postseason, I think it slowed down a little bit more for him here in Philadelphia than it, than it was during the season itself. And it might have even been in September. And I think he recognized that, okay, um, I'm still the same guy. I do have to make some adjustments. I think he was trying to swing to the contract last year mm. in a lot of ways. And I think he was just swinging and chasing in pitches that were out of the strike zone on a, just on a, too much of a consistent basis. Uh, I don't think he's doing that as much this year. I think he's actually being a little choosier. Now, there was a stretch about two weeks ago where he was starting to swing out of the zone a little bit, and then he made another adjustment. And I think that's one of the biggest things. I I think he's more comfortable. Um, He's a little more loquacious even with us, which is good. Um, Not that that does anything, but I can see that he's he's embracing the atmosphere a little bit. And I think he enjoyed – like the other guys, this atmosphere, like he, he, it's like a narcotic. He wanted it again. Mm-hmm. Um, another guy that we don't talk about a lot who seems to be having a tougher season is the catcher, JT Real Muto. Um, hasn't really found that comfort zone yet, that swing. What's your take on what's going on with him? I, I think it's similar, Glenn, to last year, honestly. I mean, he, he, there was a point last year where he was kind of in the same mode, and, and his numbers maybe power-wise aren't the same as last year at this point. But I think that, you know, there, there was a – and he even admitted it last week that his timing's just off. His leg kick is off. The way he is swinging is off. Um, I do think he found a little bit of it on the, the road trip, and I'm surprised that it, 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 it sort of migrated into what it is now um, here – on this homestand, I mean, he's won for his last 14 on the homestand. So I think he's closer, but I think it's very similar to last year. If you remember, we went to Toronto, um, and he didn't he didn't accompany the team, and he yeah. went to Miami, and then we got to Miami, and all of a sudden he started to hit again. It's almost in the same neighborhood as it was a season ago. You know, it's interesting, Tom. One of the developments last night, and particularly in last night's game, that Glenn and I haven't talked about yet on the show, but we probably should have because it could end up being one of the most important factors for the Phillies the rest of the season is the return of Jose Alvarado, who is their best relief pitcher and is among the best relief pitchers in baseball. What did you see from him last night? Did you see the Jose of last season? And what kind of benefit having him at the level he's been pitching at this season uh, could that be for the Phillies? Well, I think it's gigantic, Mike. And I thought we saw – three pitches in something click or, or or should say two batters in something click for him where I thought he was, you know, you, you saw the cutter was at 92, 93, didn't have the late life on it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if it was after Caleb came out and talked to him or if he realized something, he then kind of let it loose. And I think he was a little tentative those first few pitches that he threw. Uh, but I don't think he finished tentative. I thought that last cutter, even though it was to a rookie, I mean, it was magnificent. It was 95 in on the hands, just diving down. So having him back is is a is huge for the bullpen. I mean, think about the fact that last year Bilotti and and Brogdon were such big parts of the the Phillies postseason run, and they're both in the minor leagues. And that so that'll tell you where this bullpen has even gotten gotten to, and it is even a little bit better than it was at the end of last season. And that to me is, is huge. I mean, it's. You know, Hoffman has pitched really well. Marte has kind of figured some things out. And the fact that Alvarado is back and hopefully is healthy is going to be a really big thing for this team. 
All right, last one for me. They go back on the road after closing with the Dodgers tomorrow, head out to the West Coast, Arizona, and then the uh, pathetic Oakland A's. But hey, they it's won three diff- in a row. I, I know. I know. <laughs> How about that? They're going to make a movie about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a sequel, though, Mike. But, yes, yeah, they will make a True. movie about it. <laughs> um, but it, the, the ballpark this year is kind of a continuation of what happened late last year and very Absolutely. different than it was a year ago. Just wanted you to kind of give your, your sense of what it's like down there at the park. It's incredible. Uh, you know, it, it goes back to, you know, in 08, 09, 10, when that, that great run of sold sellouts were – taking place here at the ballpark um it's similar to that we may not reach that level because we're not going to be consistently sold out all the time but we're going to be consistently heavy and you can feel the impact i mean last night's crowd was it was outstanding i mean it was great um and i think that that has helped lift a little bit you can feel the energy uh, even reese talking about it in the booth last night he can you know he, he kind of said the same thing and i just think it's it's been awesome i think it's an indication of how great this city is and you know, and what they're seeing from this club because it is a likable team, and I think that's that, that's that's really transcended into the attendance. Four o'clock uh, start today. Aaron Nola for the Phillies yeah. against young Bobby Miller for the Dodgers, and of what course, a great Tom... baseball name, Bobby Miller. That's Bobby perfect. Miller, yeah, that is a great. It's almost name. as good as Mickey Moniak. Kids, yeah. uh, I mean, I he have his home run last night. Yep. Oh man, I the Moniac thing is very interesting. Uh, Bobby Miller's only got three starts, but he's got an ERA of one oh six, so he's he's turning heads. It'll be interesting to see. Tom McCarthy, of course, will be on the call. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us today. All right, guys, be good. Thanks, All right. Tommy. All right, be well. There you go. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. We'll get calls on the other side. May do a little bit of uh, ranting and raving. You never know. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now, 94 WIP. Let's uh, grab a call or two here. John Maniak has been hanging patiently. What's on your mind, uh, John? Hey, hey, Glenn. How you doing? Good. I got a quick movie idea here for it. Probably not enough content, but how about when uh, Billy Jean King got Elton John to write Philadelphia Freedom for the Philadelphia Freedom tennis team? I'd watch an hour of it. Yeah. I think it's an episode of something bigger. Okay, <laughs> but that was pretty good. But on the Sixers here, so um, it's obvious that James Harden's going to walk, and uh, Tobias Harris has one more year on his contract. Do you think they should just let uh, Maxie take over to point guard and uh, see what happens after that? Just like get ride it out for a year. I mean, I just think they, I think they should ride it out for a year anyway. Uh, separate from whether they ought to turn Maxie into a point guard, I think. I think turning Maxi into a point guard in a way, you know, is that the best use of his skills? He's he's a combo. He's he's a little bit of both, and he's turned himself into a good enough three point and outside shooter that I'm not sure entirely you want the ball in his hands all the time. Um, he's valuable in today's day and age because he's the one guy that they have on the roster, Glenn, who can create his own shot on the perimeter, and you absolutely need that in this yeah. NBA. Yep. Mike in uh, North Carolina. Hey, Mike, have you gotten the bad air yet? Is it coming your way, or do you guys get to avoid that? Uh, hey, Glenn, uh, this is Mike. Actually, it's not Carolina now. It's uh, LBI. Oh, oh that's okay. that's a bit different from Greenville, that's, Greensville, North Carolina. Yeah, well, yeah, it used to be Greensville. But on that point, um, Glenn, I want to thank you and Ray for all the years. I was down there for 30 years listening to you guys on the weekend. 
And now with you and Mike, it's a seamless transition. Nothing's been dropped in the in the transition. It's great listening to you. Well, thank guys. you. Very thank nice you, Mike. Of you to say. You know, and Glenn, when you were here at Ship Bottom Brewery, you know I'm about three blocks from there. Yeah, that's a great place. Their place down the shore is great. Their place in Lynn Villa is great. They make good stuff. They make really good stuff. Just for you guys' info, yeah. When you come down again, okay. Um, Mike Silski, yes, great job filling in and taking the time from Ray. And but I want to commend you on the article in this week's Inquirer on the pitcher from CB West. Coming from a 1972 graduate of CB West, I was brought to tears by reading reading that article. Great, great job. Thank you so much, Mike. And and for the the listening audience, I really appreciate that. On the same day that uh, Aaron Nola threw those six no-hit innings for the Phillies against the Tigers, a pitcher for Central Bucks West threw a perfect game, Glenn, in the state playoffs. And so the next day I went to speak to him about what it was like, did he was he a big Phillies fan? Did he find it all coincidental that he threw a perfect game on the same day that uh, Aaron Nola almost threw a no hitter, and it ended up becoming kind of a column about uh, the importance of high school sports and building yeah. community and absolutely, yeah, absolutely. all of those sorts of things. Mike, uh, quickly, give us a documentary you want to see. I, you know, I told you, producer, I, I just can't think of anything other than the. Uh, the, the 19, 2017 season for the Eagles going to oh, the Super Bowl. We, we, we would watch that. That's, oh, absolutely. That's, that's for sure. Kevin in Delaware wants to weigh in on the Provorov trade. I thought we'd get more response to that. I know the Flyers are kind of, you know, forgotten these days. But what do you think, Kevin? Uh, I would have kept him. I mean, he's your best defenseman. You know, you're going to rebuild. You're going to have some young guys come in. You need some veteran leadership. Well, I don't think he gives you veteran leadership. That's part well, of the problem. Oh, he has talent, though. <laughs> he needs some talent. But but that's the thing, Kevin. That's what makes him such a great trade piece is that he has value around the league. You're not going to be able to rebuild unless you're willing to give up something of value and a player with talent to hopefully get more in return. And I think that's the, as Glenn pointed out earlier, I think that's the smart thing in what Briere did here in this trade, the possibility of them getting more in a first-round pick and two second-round picks and in a defensive prospect, that's the kind of move you have to make if you're rebuilding because you need to take those kind of swings uh, with draft picks. At the same time, their draft record has not really been sterling, so I worry about that. But it's a new new group of people doing it. It, That's the whole point. They've changed the management. They've changed the structure. They they have to build from the bottom up. They have to just change the whole foundation of it, and I think that's kind of where they're going. Yeah, um, they, so. that's where they have to go. They should have gone there five or six years ago. Yeah. Uh, let me get uh, Chris in Clinton, New Jersey. Hey, Chris. Hey, guys. Hi, Chris. Uh, it, was, it was funny watching the cup finals this week, and then the next day uh, Jonesy signs off on the Proveroff trade. <laughs> Busy man over there. Yeah, yeah he's, do, he's still doing TV. That's amazing to me. I guess that, that contract's still going, and Jonesy, Jonesy doesn't want to give up that, those bucks. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Don't blame him. I, I, I disagree with Kevin entirely. I thought it was a good move. The timing of a, a rebuild, you know, Provorov would be possibly in the back half of his career in terms of, you know, his effectiveness for when the timing of this team would be sort of on the up and up and actually contending in the playoffs a couple of years from now, you know. Yeah, so, and by the way, yeah. he wants to leave and keeping a guy, when you're rebuilding with young players, keeping a guy who's disenchanted is not a good formula. Oh, yeah, they they got to buy into the program. 
Um, so on the on the Phillies, I mean, I think one of my favorite players to watch when he's on is Ranger Suarez in terms of his pitches. The, the location that he has in the inside corner to, to right-handers is just excellent being able to tie people off. It was really good to see him have, I think it's two straight really good starts. Um, the starting pitching being good moving forward, I think will be enough for them to get, you know, mm-hmm. keep winning series two out of three, six or seven out of 10. That's how they're going to be able to make the push for one of those wild card spots. Um, I will say, and I'll get your take on this, um, is if you guys are concerned about the power numbers from a guy like, I mean, Harper hasn't had the power numbers since he's come back. I think it'll start to get up, but just in general across the lineup, I feel like those home runs got to start picking up soon for the lineup to be more consistent. Yeah, they haven't they haven't driven the ball with power uh, this season in the way we expected, Chris. You're right. Uh, but I also think, as we Glenn talked about earlier in the show, that some of this will be taken care of by the length of the season. Kyle Schwarber is starting to hit. As Bryce Harper, I mean, Harper's been terrific anyway, but as he gets healthier and gets back in the groove, he'll start to hit more home runs. Castellanos has been terrific. Maybe he'll slump, but... They have guys who can hit the ball out of the ballpark. doesn't mean they don't miss Reese Hoskins, but I think that that number will pick up over time. All right, so give me a moment. I, I wanted to talk about this, and I, I don't know that anybody else in the station is talking about this, but I care about this. And you know the story that mm-hmm. essentially the Saudis bought golf as we know it this week. The Saudi Public Investment Fund is now the exclusive investor in whatever – they're going to call the PGA moving forward, and they have right of they the Saudis the Saudi fund has right of first refusal on any new investment. In simplest terms, they bought golf, Mike. Now, I don't know if that bothers other people from a moral point of view. Um, except, imagine you're one of those players who stuck with the PGA and turned down that yeah. that live money for the last two years. They. They framed it, they, the, the PGA, the commissioner of the PGA, framed it as a moral question yep. that the players who stayed passed up huge money to help the A take this stand, make comments about guys they know. I mean, Rory McIlroy turned down a half a billion dollars. Tiger Woods turned down $800 million. I can't kind of stop focusing on that those guys took a stand for what they believed was right and out of loyalty – And then they were sold out by the very thing that they were trying to defend. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth in that. You know, there's been some reporting coming out in the last couple of days, Glenn. We talked about this before the show, trying to kind of reframe this as, you know, the Saudis will not have as much control over golf as we know it, as we think. But but as you said, the the wolf, so to speak, is already inside the hen house. And I think it's a little naive uh, to think that they're not going to exercise that control, that financial control that they'll have. And... Uh, I, I think your point about the moral stand that some of these players took is right on the money. I, this is what's called sports washing. This is what uh, the Saudis are trying to do. They're trying to kind of cover up for what their government does as, in terms of human rights violations. And Lord knows um, we know where all the terrorists uh, on September 11th came from. And here they are kind of trying to make everybody in a way kind of forget about that by by paying them off. Yeah. Uh, Jay Monahan, who's the committee the commissioner of the PGA. I mean, he's the guy who accused the Saudis of killing 3,000 Americans on 9-11. Those were his words. Yep. He said, we're not going to get in bed with the people who killed 3,000 Americans. Now he calls them great business partners. Um, it's the most hypocritical thing I ever saw, heard, excuse me, and man, he folded. 
He folded fast. So as you're saying, we have, and I, I have no problem saying, an international tyrant controlling a U.S. sport. Uh, it is such a success. It's going to be so much influence for them. Uh, at the same time, they said this the week, they're going to slash oil production to drive up prices. Thank you very much. Yeah. Women still don't have real rights there. They do public beheadings. They took a bone saw to an American journalist. Um, and they own our sport. They own golf. They can do whatever they want with it. They, you said yeah. sports washing. That's the word. They can they can keep out advertisers who don't agree with the horrible things their government does. Yeah, and this is something that comes up in sports, and I don't know how often uh, it touches local sports. Uh, you know, we're talking about this as a national topic, and obviously this is a Philadelphia sports show, and uh, we tend, as we said earlier in the show, when talking about Jokic versus Embiid, that we, we tend to be parochial and provincial. But think about Daryl Morey, for instance. Like, say what you want about him as the general manager and president of the Sixers. But when that guy took a stand a couple of years ago mm. uh, on behalf of the citizens of Hong Kong against the Chinese government, the NBA came down on him like an anvil. Yeah. And it was the leadership of the NBA. It was the highest of profile players in the NBA, guys like LeBron James, telling him to be quiet because the business interests of the NBA were so tied up with the Chinese government that Daryl Morey couldn't be seen as speaking out in, in support of freedom and human rights and all of these things. So it's not just golf. This touches a whole lot of different sports in a whole lot of really meaningful ways. It does. Uh, that's, a, that's a fine point. And, I mean, here's the big picture, and I'm just going to stick to the Saudis for a second. So, like, what's next? Do they, right. do they buy an NFL team? Um, they could. Yeah. I mean, they haven't. They have a lot more money than Josh Harris. Yeah, uh, and and I I I hate this. I I just hate what happened with golf, and I I feel bad for guys like Rory McIlroy, Tiger Woods, and so on. And I just I the hypocrisy of this thing is disgusting. Yeah, and but if you're McIlroy or Tiger, like what do you do now? Do you not take the money? Do you not play? Well, it's your career. You can't not play. But you, I mean. Uh, no, you don't. You don't retire from golf. You, you make it clear that you're unhappy with uh, the people who own the company for whom you work, more or less. But mm -hmm. you know, there's no other option. Yeah. Right? What, what are they going to do? You're going to throw your career away. Because, right. Yeah. No, they, they they have no choice, which is another reason they're going to be doubly frustrated. There's nowhere else for them to go. So yeah. I, I feel for them. Uh, Mitch joins us. What's happening, Mitch? Gentlemen, that's a very scary uh, conversation you're having about golf. That's you know. It's the, our American sport. It's our our sacred thing. Well, it's our actually, and it's actually British, Scottish, but, British, and yeah, Scottish, Scottish yeah. tradition. Yeah. 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 Oh, one note with Bradley Cooper, who I love. You remember Limitless? Great yeah. movie. Fantastic, and and Burnt. Even I was watching the other day the Chef mm -hmm. movie. He's he's terrific. He's I'm, yeah, he I'm a big uh, fan, and and it's not just because he went to Germantown Academy and is a Montgomery County Jenkins. Yeah, well, there you go. Good stuff. But the Phillies, you know, remember a few weeks ago, everybody was in a panic. Every, everything will straighten out, and they'll, they'll be fine. You know, they'll, they'll go deep in the playoffs and possibly again to the uh, World Series. Yeah, and not all of us were saying that, Mitch, as recently as last week. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Are... You know, because now everybody gets hot. The weather's warming up, and everybody's loosening up. So here's the thing. They have the Dodgers today, tomorrow, right? And then they go for four to Arizona, and the Diamondbacks are – a much better team than they were a year or two ago. Uh, and then they play Oakland. So they got seven games on the road, two against the Dodgers. Yeah. They got to stay hot. They got to win five or six of those games for mm -hmm. me to be yeah. on this air next week 
and say, yeah, yeah. this is they're doing it. You got you got to be feeling good about them coming back home to play the Braves and the Mets Correct. because those are going to be two gigantic series back to back like that. All right, coming back, I'm going to give you this. Uh, this is the anniversary of some interesting days in Philadelphia sports. I'll give you some of that, and then Dan Wilson, our producer, will tell us what we forgot to talk about, which is always a good time. Uh, with Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Hey, are you tired of dealing with those old, inefficient windows? Well, it's time to go guide How about that drafty, beat-up-looking entry door? Man, you painted over that thing more times than you can count. Listen, go guide If you need added protection from the elements of the new storm door, go guide And what about that sliding patio door? That garage door you've been meaning to replace, go Guida, whatever your home improvement needs are, I suggest you go Guida with the great people at Guida Door and Window. To help get your project started, Guida is offering 20% off all windows and doors while allowing you to start your project with no money down and up to three full years to pay it off interest-free. That's right. Receive 20% instant savings with the luxury of paying off your project interest-free for up to 36 months. Restrictions apply. Offers for a limited time. What are you waiting for? It's time you finally go Guida. Call today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. All right, Mike Sielski, we got a couple minutes before we turn it over to Dan Wilson for what we forgot to talk about. And every once in a while, I like to squeeze in this week in Philadelphia sports history. And there was mm-hmm. a lot that occurred uh, in or around this date in years past. Uh, and what I realize is the three of them I have today are all heartbreaks. So, oh, good. This will be an upset. <laughs> I apologize in advance for what I'm about to do to the audience. I want everybody to be in a good mood. This will not help. But I'm going to take you back to June 9th, 2010, a game that I was at and entirely confused. It was game six of the Stanley Cup Finals, the Flyers against the Chicago Blackhawks in overtime, sudden death overtime of a game six. Nothing better. Um, To me, Doc Emmerich is the greatest announcer in the history of hockey, one of the best in anything. Mm -hmm. And the confusion you will hear from Doc Emmerich on this mirrors how we all felt at the moment. Here you go. Here's Campbell handing on to Kane again. Lots of head fakes there trying to shake Tiemann. Threw one in front. Oh, my, it rattled around, and it kicked on back, and then scored. We saw no light, we saw no signal, and we're not sure if they've set a signal of a goal yet, but they are celebrating at the other end of the ice. What chaos. What chaos indeed, yes. Indeed, on the replay, you see that Patrick Kane puts it over the shoulder, under the armpit of Patrick Layton. Michael Layton. Michael Michael, Layton, excuse me. Yeah, well, I'm trying to forget who he is. Yeah, we're trying. We've been trying to My least favorite flyer goalies of all time. Another reason not to trade Carter Hart. (laughs) But anyway, that was, that, that was it. And, yep. you know, interestingly, Doc Emmerich went back that summer and re-recorded him broadcasting the ending of the game mm-hmm. because he was so embarrassed by not seeing the goal. But nobody saw the goal. No, nobody did. There was no, as he said in the call, no light went on. And it was the worst kind of ending for that run that the Flyers went on because – you had questions about their goaltending the entire run. You know, Brian Boucher starts out and he gets hurt, and they have to go to Leighton, and he's getting shutouts during the run against the Canadians in the Eastern Conference Finals, but it's only because the Flyers' defense is so good that they're allowing 15 or 16 shots a game. And then they get in that final series against the Blackhawks, and look, Chicago was the better team that year. They had talent up and down that roster. But the Flyers had a chance to win that series if they had gotten better goaltending, and that goal that ended it, 
was emblematic of what they were kind of fighting uphill against that entire entire final. I got to make bumper stickers that say "Keep Carter Hart." Uh, go I'm for thinking. it, man! I, you know, can I get will you put one on your car for me? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure yet. I'm okay. not sure yet. There's uh, some stuff that's outstanding. There's a you know, there's stuff away from the ice that has to be sorted out with well, Carter Hart. Okay, and, I hear that. You know what I mean? All right. Uh, what is it, 2001, so that's 22 years ago this Thursday, another miracle run, and we've talked about it earlier today, which is those Allen Iverson Sixers. Yep. It comes down to game five, and, well, here you go. Bryant, alley-oops, Ory. And uh, Robert Ory just lays it home, and the Lakers pulling away. by a team that is beaten up, Iverson. Allen Iverson playing with the Brewers' ribs. I just picked a couple of seconds of play-by-play mm-hmm. on that because, I, you know, Bryant and Ori and Iverson and Matumbo and just all those great names. Sixers lose that night, 108-96, to and that miracle run ends. But uh, as we've said so many times, that was one of the most fun seasons ever. I'll say this, Glenn. There have been certain environments in Philadelphia sports that I've been lucky enough to be in covering the teams in this city for a long time that are just so electric that you can't help but kind of remember them and never, ever forget them. Uh, I think about, honestly, Citizens Bank Park last season during the playoffs, particularly when Bryce Harper hit that home run uh, against the Padres in the National League Championship Series. And I can say this. When Matt Cord would introduce that Sixers team during that postseason, the Wachovia Center, as it was called at the time, I think, was unlike... First Union Center, thank you, Dan, um, would reach a pitch that I don't know that it's ever reached since. And it was just electric every single time. And when he would bring Iverson out, uh, the, the the building was just on fire. It was, was, it was really cool. It was great. It was a lot of fun. All right, let us go to the aforementioned Dan Wilson and find out what did we forget to talk about today. Well, one, I'll throw in my uh, hat in the ring as to what documentary in Philadelphia sports I would like to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, it hasn't ended successfully this far, but I'd like to see one in the process, all the drama that's gone behind it. I think similar to kind of the movie Moneyball, which does not end in a championship. This has not resulted in a championship. I'd still like to see a documentary on it. Yeah, I, I, I certainly, absolutely, it would be, I, and I think it would be a three-parter, right? I mean, you have there's enough start, content for sure. Yeah, you start with what led into it. You have one focusing on just all those horrible years when the Sixers were just an embarrassment, and then kind of the rebuild and where you, we are now. You'd have you know to, you'd have to get Sam Hankey. It, it doesn't work unless you. No, get you, Sam you need Hankey a, a Hinky sit, sit down to talk through the whole thing. Yeah, and good luck with that, Mike. Right. As you know, I've tried. I, I get I along know. great with the guy, and he won't do it. Yeah. By the way, you know the other one that a lot of people mentioned to me was one on the history of sports talk radio in Philadelphia. Oh, you know what that would be great for, Glenn. <laughs> and I'm this is I'm not the first person with this idea. Yeah. That would be an incredible like FX comedy series, like oh, the real edge. You, you know. Who's playing Angelo? That, great question. <laughs> Chaz Palminteri, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> you could do it. Uh, okay, what else, Dan? Uh, so, Schwarber with the walk-off home run last night. A lot has been made yet again of Kyle Schwarber in June. Uh, just to put it in perspective of just how good this guy is, I'll give credit to our very own Joe Giglio, who tweeted this out last night. Best at-bat-to-home run ratio in Major League history. Babe Ruth, 11.76. Mark McGuire, 10.61. June Kyle Schwarber, 9.56. That's wow. crazy. That's crazy. 
It's it's funny too to watch him. Like you watch that home run last night. He puts a swing on that ball where it looks like he could hit a home run anytime he wants to. And then you watch him in April and May, and you're like, this guy, I could throw the ball up to him underhanded, and he would swing and miss. Yeah. Wow. It, he misses a beach ball on May 31st, and he hits everything right. 400 feet on June 1st. Yeah. Uh, something we did not get to uh, that broke this week, Sam Cassell, who was you know, pretty close with Tyrese Maxey and working with him, now a member of the Boston Celtics coaching staff. Does that mean they're going to trade Maxey to the Celtics? I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying. I'm not yeah. either. Yeah. No. Yeah, I liked Sam Castell. I think uh, there were a lot of people who thought maybe he should be considered for the job here. I think with you know a new coach coming in, Nick Nurse, it's a good time for him to, to leave. And I, I'm not delighted where he went, but I wish him all the best. And, uh, you know, I, he's the kind of guy who ought to be coaching his own team. One yeah, day. I, I agree. Re- really quick, Glenn, uh, happy 6-10 day. It's June 10th. I know. I You know, it's funny. I thought of that earlier. We used to do a huge charity event on uh, June the 10th when WIP was 610. WIP. <laughs> we used to have a, a, a big, big charity day uh, back then. And I when I saw uh, – actually, you know what I noticed? It is when you sent me the reads today, Dan, and you said the reads for 610. I'm thinking, we've been 610. And oh, it's June the 10th. June the 10th. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. What do you got going on later today, guys? You go first, Dan. Well, I'll be producing Go Birds Radio coming up here, and then I'll be headed to uh, a barbecue, actually, uh, later on today, where I'm sure the Phillies game will be on and uh, enjoying this nice weather. Nice. Going for a long drive, not a whole lot else. What about you? Uh, I am home. I'm going to be working on stuff, book, inquire work. and then Boy, aren't we the most exciting crew. We are. I got a block party tomorrow, which I'm looking forward go. to, but, uh, but today is getting work done. All right, well. Good luck with that. Uh, Dan, great job producing Go Birds Radio coming up next. Uh, you told me who's doing it today. Is it, uh, who is it, Elliot and? The who? usual crew, James Seltzer and Elliot James Shore Parks. James Seltzer and Elliot Shore Parks. Make sure you listen to that. Everybody have a great day uh, and have a great weekend. Stay tuned right here to 94, not 610, 94 <laughs> WIP. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island. Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. 
Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.